Hello and welcome to the MinMax Show, a place about games, friends, and getting better. I am Ben Hansen, and this is the MinMax Show podcast. As you can tell, because we have Jeff Marquiafava here. Hey! That's not all. We have Surreal Vasquez. Hey! And we have big dog Kyle Hilliard in the dog pound. Uh, roof, roof, roof. Hey, Big dog's got to eat. This guy's wild. This guy's wild. Um, welcome, everybody. We are talking about Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart today. Um, which, by the way, um, if you want to see gameplay for Ratchet and Clank Rift, uh, Rift Apart and actually hear our impressions of the state of play, that's on MinMax's YouTube channel, which you can go subscribe to. We'd appreciate that. We'll have our full reactions there, but we're recording this before the state of play. Um, then we're going to be talking about Returnal from Housemark, PlayStation 5 exclusive. Very exciting stuff. Um, and we're going to be talking about Nier, the remake slash remaster of Nier. Uh, uh, say the full name. Don't sh- don't short yourself here. You're right. Come on. Okay, this is Nier Replicant <laughs> version 1.22474487139. So please look forward to that. In the back Thank half of the you. show, we have some fun community questions. Very good batch today. I mean, if this was a dinner I was cooking... People from all over the neighborhood would be clawing at the windows trying to get to this meal. It's some very fun stuff in there. So you don't want to cook too well, then. That's right. It's yeah, a, that's a that's a scary neighborhood you live in. Hansen. Yeah, it, it it results in forty eight deaths within the United States per year. Is meals wow. being too good and neighborhood children <laughs> attacking oh. the chef? Man, village is very different from what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> uh, hey, very exciting week for games because we have. Our one and true beloved uh, Pokemon Snap is returning on Friday. Um, And I am very, very excited about new Pokemon Snap. I cannot wait to play it. We're going to be streaming um, gameplay on our Twitch channel. You can follow us at twitch.tv slash minmaxshow. We're going to be streaming for several hours from the beginning. So if you want a good look at that, you can check that out on Twitch. Um, Reviews, much stronger than I expected. I don't know if you all checked those out yet. I was... uh, stronger huh i mean I, it seemed like because it really like eight ish like which is like super solid like i'm excited to play it but it's about where i thought it might land there's some but eights it, and it nines met, like as much as i did your expectations it did huh? yeah as much as i love that game i based on the trailers like the new one looks a little bit sterile looks a little bit dry you know the comparison i made before is i feel like i was worried it was going to feel like when you bring an arcade game to a console and play it and it's like that's fine there but it just kind of feels blah um, but it seems like it's going above and beyond that. Like, I think the Metacritic's 80 right now, so I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, I cannot wait to see all the wonderful photos from the community. And Kyle, we had a show many moons ago called Photo Mode Snap, which some would argue was an homage to Pokemon Snap, where we judged community screenshots from a bunch of different games. Um, and we were very... May have been nearly identical to the gameplay in the first few episodes. <laughs> yeah, but we are bringing it back. Photo Mode Snap is going to return, so we're going to be judging and reviewing and discussing screenshots from the community for new Pokemon Snap. So this Monday, if you're a supporter on Patreon at patreon.com slash minimax with Two ends, of course. Jeff, there are two ends in MinMax. I don't know how many times I have to oh, tell you. Uh, but if you're a supporter, it wrong this whole time. If you're a supporter <laughs> at any tier, you can submit a screenshot and we'll include it in the show. And so I am very much looking forward to getting photo mode snap rolling again and just celebrating new Pokemon Snap because it's, it's and a you hell know, of a thing. Hanson, I think we can reveal it here. Professor Mirror will be there in are person. Are you serious? <laughs> the Professor Mirror? The Professor Mirror. Big M? <laughs> the big M himself. That's very exciting. Uh, so please look forward to that. Um, okay, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, upcoming PlayStation Five exclusive. 
Uh, where's everybody's hype levels at? Kyle, where are you at for the new Ratchet and Clank? Uh, very high. Um, I don't know, on a scale of 1 to 10, like a high 8, a 9. Very excited for it, for sure. I think this is going to be a big deal. I think people are hungry for PlayStation 5 exclusives. I think, you know, uh, on that note, I feel like Returnal is going to do really well, but it feels like Ratchet and Clank might be the first big, juicy, fully featured PS5 game uh, for people that maybe aren't into roguelites. Um, I think it's going to fly off the shelves if you happen to pick up a PlayStation 5 off the shelf. But uh, the new trailer that they revealed this week finally revealed the mysterious new Lombax's name. And Kyle, what is that name? It's a rivet. The best. Uh, I think... It's good. I mentioned it on a podcast earlier that that was my guess i think it was like a get a load of this um at some point but i was just taking that from kind of funny like they i think they were judging based on the community that had guessed it early on but it's the perfect name for a female ratchet it's just amazing um ratchet like rift apart serial where are you at for this thing uh i think that'll probably be a game that i'm i i I'll like more than i i'm anticipating it because like i i'm not i'm not following it much i'm not I, like i watched the trailer and it didn't really do much for me but the last ratchet and clank game that i played i think it was uh uh the ps3 one cracking time yeah i enjoyed that game like i i really liked it i just don't follow the series much so i have so like that that hype isn't there for me but i totally expect that when that game comes out I'll look back on it pretty fondly. I'm like, oh yeah, that, that game was actually pretty cool because I'm not like a big Ratchet and Clank guy. But, yeah. But what a- I've seen them, this game is like, okay, they're gonna u- this is gonna be a game that uses the hardware of the PS5. Uh, and so like I'm I want it to do that kind of like tech demo-y. Like I want this to be almost like the sequel to Astrobot more so than I uh, want it to be a Ratchet and Clank game. Right. You want this to be the game that you invite your friends over to say, check out the PlayStation 5. Look how cool I am because I found one. Yeah, ignore the fact that it looks really, the, the console looks kind of ugly, but look at the screen. That's what matters. <laughs> you have a blanket over your PlayStation 5 in the corner of the room. Yeah, I'm trying uh, to red ring it. It keeps overheating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully it'll, you know, be that juggernaut that we're hoping for. Obviously, like jumping jumping between different dimensions is going to be the big thing with the lasso. And you can, like pull the dimensions towards you for the little rips and all that stuff. And then they're big on also implementing the adaptive trigger stuff. So it's like, okay, you have a shotgun, you, you can shoot the blast, but if you pull it in all the way it'll have like a bigger blast that type of thing so it seems like they're trying to make this the big the big set piece ps5 debut outside of returnal you know returnal has some of that magic going for it as well do you think this game will have that uh that guide functionality that demon souls had where it's like here's the some tips and tricks for getting through this level or like here's how to find that stuff because i don't think i've seen it in a ton of stuff but then i don't i have like since demon souls i haven't really kept up with like okay does this game feature the guide like have like a, the guides feature because it feels like no one's talking about that at all yeah that's a good question i don't even know if i looked for it in returnal like the only yeah. time i've really used that was for a sack boy but it was pretty helpful for finding a couple collectibles well, I also, I remember when they revealed that sort of feature and the big thing of it being like, it's going to take you about an hour to finish this level or something like that. Mm-hmm. I was like over the moon for that. And admittedly, like I haven't even looked for it in any game I've played, yeah. whether that's a, a product product of like just not ever being in a situation where I need to know how much more time it would take to beat the level or what. But uh, I imagine if any game is going to continually take advantage of those features it's going to be a first party sony game like it's almost probably they encourage the developers to do that i would imagine yeah jeff what's your history with ratchet and clank uh i've never played a ratchet and clank game in my entire life but hang on you did play heroes on the move 
which I believe has Ratchet yes, and Clank I in did. it. Okay, so that technically I, I may have played one and then completely forgotten that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was the sound mind. of uh, Fava's brain buffering to like dig deep into that memory to find yeah. that that the most obscure Ratchet and Clank game is the one that he's played. But that he, but, that doesn't count. No, it doesn't. <laughs> no. Uh, but that said, it this is for the reasons you guys have been talking about kind of the the one ps5 game that i guess i'm most anticipating and most has me thinking like hey i should get one of those consoles finally because it is the one that's actually doing exclusive stuff that you can't do on current on last gen hardware at this point yeah and returnal looks really nice and you know the I don't know, I'm sure the solid state comes into play when like resetting the loop and all that stuff to some extent, but I think this is going to be the one that, yeah, it's really going to be the big moment for the PlayStation 5. Um, Kyle, I don't know if this stood out to you too, but like that last trailer and what they've been showing lately, it just kind of is driving home that idea that it's weird how similar the story is to Crash 4. Like the idea of just like really leaning into dimensions, alternate versions of alternate characters, everything like that. Well, I mean, now... The, the, Insomniac and Naughty Dog are, are kind of always like, like they're not, they're so they. I don't want to like imply that one is chasing the other necessarily, but like, there's always these weird similarities. Like, yeah, they uh, between um like Jack and Daxter and Ratchet and Clank both being dual protagonist characters. Like, um, uh, from a, a Naughty Dog of uh, the uh, he was on the uh, Ted Price's podcast recently. Yeah, Evan Wells and yeah, yeah, Evan Wells and I. I think it was in there that he talked about how they were totally separated but then they just got together because they're friendly developers and it was they were like independently both making games where like um you know they had dual protagonists and it's like and the funny thing the other wrinkle here is crash the newest crash is not a naughty dog game but it's still like you know it's a naughty dog character it has those ties so it is funny that there's still this like they just can't seem to separate fully <laughs> in a weird way you they know just always accidentally stumble into the same realm even with the weird legacy yeah. stuff yeah yeah i'm just amazed it's so wild to look at the history of ratchet and clank and just realize like it is amazing that sony has been funding these games for the last 20 years like so many of these games are just now in that realm where it has a collection a collection of fans that are constantly screaming why aren't you bringing this back what's wrong with you and like Sony, I understand we only got one last gen, but pretty consistently has been funding these Ratchet and Clank games and Insomniac still has the will to make it. It's like a beautiful thing that has just continued from our childhoods on. It's so rare. Yeah, it's especially weird considering if you look at Insomniac, like they have other franchises that they could lean into. You know, they they you would think that they should be like full steam ahead on Spider-Man 2, right? But instead, you know, like they're like it would be like if Naughty Dog made a Jack and Daxter game at this point, right? Like you would think that like, yeah, just have them do these kind of more mature grown up like uh, like action games that don't feature mascots. Um, but th- these are their two franchises. Instead of it being The Last of Us and Uncharted, it, it almost feels like it's going to be Spider-Man and Ratchet and Clank, which is strange. Yeah, I think a big part of that is back in 2008 when Insomniac started a separate studio in North Carolina. And I think they've been doing a bulk of the Ratchet and Clank development out there. So it's like, you know, Naughty Dog tried to split into two teams, but still all under the same roof. And it didn't really work that well. And it seems like Insomniac fully pulled that off by having a fully separate studio. And that has allowed them to keep these Ratchet and Clank games in full development. We learned this week that the music for the new game is by Mark Mothersbaugh from Devo, of course, but uh, also the composer for Thor Ragnarok, 
the original Crash Bandicoot games, Kyle. There's your full connection. Jack and Daxter. Rugrats, I think, as well, right? Yep, there we go. And a million things. Sincerely, his greatest soundtrack, uh, Boom Blocks on Wii, the Steven Spielberg game. <laughs> Listen to that soundtrack, everybody. It is freaking wild and freaking amazing. But it, it made me even more excited about this game, just to have that musical talent behind it. Um, hey, Jeff, I'm... Hey. Since you're the expert of offbeat Ratchet and Clank games. Of course. There are three Ratchet and Clank spin-off games, not clown not counting Heroes on the Move. Can you name one of them? Hansen? Yeah. If you hadn't just repeated Heroes on the Move, I couldn't have repeated it again for you right now. <laughs> All right, Kyle, can you name one of them? Secret Agent Clank. Correct. Surreal. Uh, uh Ken a Bridge of Spirits. Correct. That's we have Kenna, <laughs> Bridge of Spirits. All right. And that's actually all of them. Congratulations. I don't know how the math works. Uh, also have a co-op one, Kyle, if you can recall this one. Very cleverly named. I think it was maybe the first North Carolina. Was it all one? for one? All for one. Great job. Uh, and then a game that outside I've been watching of- a lot of My Hero lately, so that's, you know. Serial mm. mm. gets it. I get it. Uh, outside, <laughs> outside North America, this game was called Q-Force. Does anybody remember the name of the tower defense style game in the Ratchet and Clank universe? What platform? PS3. It goes back to their cheeky naming convention in a bit. Is it like Age of Booty or Booty something? <laughs> no, that's a, that's a Capcom Quest game? For booty? <laughs> oh, nope, that's another game. That's another PS3 game. Uh, but this, that's like, that was like a sort of that when they were kind of doing those short, it's almost like a, a Lost Legacy style thing. Right. right? Yep, yep, yep. Okay. Uh, no, this Not is, a spinoff, really. Yeah. This is Full Frontal Assault. What's the name of that weird mm. game? But yeah, it is oh. crazy to look through the history okay. of Ratchet and Clank. There have been so many games. Uh, Up Your Arsenal still seems to be the most well-reviewed one, the highest Metacritic at least, but it's it's bonkers to go back and compile this entire history. And I'm trying to figure out since I jumped on with the 2016 kind of reboot slash adaptation of the movie, it's confusing what you called exactly. I'm wondering, jumping into Rift Apart, if I'm going to be lost on a couple beats story-wise, because technically it picks up from Into the Nexus, which was back in 2013. And so I'm sure they're going to want this to be like a clean starting point for folks, but there's definitely going to be a lot of characters that I just have no reference for. Well, I mean, I think it's just going to be you're going into like literally another dimension. So I think it's yeah. going to be a nice clean slate. I mean, have they said as much? Maybe we'll know by now, you know, based on the timeline of when we're recording this podcast and stuff. But I mean, it seems like rivet is like going to be the main playable character. Like, I don't know if they've confirmed that or if it's going to be more split, but it seems like, you know, this is a, this is a riding metal gear solid two situation almost. You know? I bet it's going to be ratchet trying to get to rivet and clank. You know, and but it's going to be jumping back between those two. But she's definitely going to be a big part of it and definitely playable. Yeah. And then, you know, Dr. Nefarious is going to be the big bad guy, all that fun stuff. Um, that is Ratchet and Clank, Rift Apart. Definitely looking forward to it. Kyle, we need to talk about Returnal. And um, I don't think you like good vibes in general. So would you mind clapping out? Well, oh yeah, real quick. Based oh, yeah. on what you know about me, Hanson, and the yeah. things that I like in video games. Do you think I'd like Returnal? Should I get ready for that personally? I like the game, but I don't think you'd like it. Okay. I'll probably still pick it up. Okay, bye. <laughs> there we go. I'm here. <laughs> New voice. This is Steve Bowling from Good Vibes Gaming. Hello, Steve. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here to uh, talk about Returnal. I've been playing a ton of this game lately. And you're pent up and want to talk about it. 
Yeah, that's the, that's kind of the worst part of getting games early is you don't really have anybody to uh, to discuss them with. So, <laughs> so I'm really excited to be uh, joining you guys today. Yeah, thanks for being here. Um, we should mention, uh, I don't know about you, our codes were provided by PlayStation ahead of time. So thanks to Sony for sending those over. So just a full heads up on that. Um, hey, Steve Bowling, I've been following Good Vibes Gaming. I'm always interested in seeing how other Patreons message things, how they build up. Uh, you're kicking our butts on YouTube, so congratulations. <laughs> uh, do you want to just run through the history of Good Vibes Gaming and, and why it was formed? Uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, so, you know, Good Vibes Gaming is myself, uh, Derek Bittner, and Ash Paulson. We're all former members of Game Explain. And, uh, you know, we'd been there for a few years. Derek had been there nearly a decade. And uh, we kind of decided that we wanted to explore our own creative avenues and and do new new and different kind of uh, things and so the three of us got together and decided to uh, form Good Vibes Gaming. Uh, we really focus on positivity, mental health, well-being, and inclusivity in the gaming space. We think that there's enough folks covering the <laughs> the other stuff that uh, we really wanted to provide kind of a safe space for people that feel marginalized within within the gaming industry and give folks a place where. Uh, you know, they don't have to worry about necessarily all the other negative aspects that can unfortunately accompany our favorite hobby. That is something um, that we are very familiar with. I mean, I feel like MinMax was founded on a very basic, similar idea of just like, yeah, let's get rid of, try to get rid of this snark and negativity in the gaming space. And it's like, it's amazing how just that slight framing on the forming of a Patreon can really like inform and kind of like reflect in the community that you built up. I'd imagine the Good Vibes gaming community is overwhelmingly positive like for that basic reason yeah yeah we're we're thrilled with the community that we've managed to build around around this idea um and frankly you know you guys were one of the patreons that we looked at when, oh, wow. we, were, when we were discussing starting up you know because we love your messaging about getting better i really loved hearing that in your initial patreon trailer and i was like these guys are very good at this and i really want to uh i want to emulate that that success so i mean you know, you mentioned that you're kicking, we're kicking your butt on YouTube. You guys are kicking our butt on Patreon, man. <laughs> like a three to one ratio. Wow, uh, so, look, I would do know, anything you guys for are YouTube doing followers. very well. I'm very happy for you guys. Um, you know, we hope to someday reach that that level of success to where we can all, uh, the three of us can do Good Vibes Gaming full time because only one of us is full time right now. Gotcha. Um, yeah, we know we yeah, have a feeling very well. Um, I also, you have that daily news show, which when I saw you start that up, I'm like, that is such a tall order. Oh my gosh. But it's going okay for yeah. you. Uh, it's going well. Yeah. Today's news tonight is actually, uh, gearing up for season two soon. So we have a lot of changes coming. Um, it's going to be live on every podcast service, which it isn't currently. Uh, we're also taking down the paywall for it. So it will be live just for the whole YouTube community view. Um, but we're still providing like a like a safe space for our patrons in our in our patron exclusive discord, which, you know, you can get into for one dollar a month and they'll be able to have their chat read like on screen during during the show uh, just to make sure, you know, because some folks in our community don't feel necessarily comfortable jumping into like just live YouTube chat with <laughs> everybody. Right. Uh, so we wanted to make sure that they still had that safe space to where they can express their thoughts and opinions without feeling like they have to battle the commentary on, on YouTube. Yeah, for sure. Returnal, Steve, I'm very curious how much you've played of this thing. I so <laughs> I hate to say it, but Returnal has like crushed my confidence in my abilities as a video game player. I have played dozens of hours, but I have not gotten very far. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and, good. Yeah, I'm like 
five and a half hours in, and I also have not gotten very far. Uh, just to be clear, this game is challenging in a good way, I think. Yes. But what's your experience overall with the game so far? The core gameplay loop is incredible. I love uh, playing as Celine and fighting these kind of weird eldritch horror-ish kind of monsters uh, on this planet. It is it is satisfying in a way I didn't think a roguelike could be satisfying. I am not a traditional fan of the genre, uh, but Returnal looked really compelling. I liked the idea that, uh, you know, we had a female protagonist and an older one at that. Yeah. It, it seemed very interesting to me. So I, you know, when Sony offered me the opportunity to play this early, thank you, Sony, um, I, I jumped at it and I am really happy I did because the moment to moment gameplay is incredible. Yes, I am completely with you. Uh, I'm enjoying the game so far. Despite it kicking my butt, it always feels fair. It always feels like it's my fault. And a huge part of that is like the controls are just so unbelievably tight. Like, you know, we streamed a little bit um, the other day on our Twitch channel and people in the chat were like, why is Celine running at like 60 miles an hour? It's like, yeah, don't don't worry about that. It's all just for the <laughs> sake of like that arcade yeah. precision that Housemark is known for. And it results in like such an incredibly tight experience. I mean, even the doors opening are like half a frame before they fully pop. Like everything is as tight and as snappy as you could be. I mean, she's Doom Gal, right? Like that's basically who she's like... I guess so. Speed. Yeah, I don't know. I guess so. So just for setting the setting the uh, stage here, this is Returnal PlayStation Five exclusive from Housemark, who previously made Super Stardust HD. If you remember that, Dead Nation, Outland, Matterfall, Next Machina. Um, they are a studio that loves the arcade roots and love. And bullet hell experiences, they love a big glowing ball slowly coming at you. That is the housemark <laughs> cup of tea. And there's yeah. a lot of that in this game, which again, it feels so unique to have like these arcade sensibilities married with like this beautiful sci-fi, you know, experience here on the PlayStation 5. It just feels like the perfect marriage of roguelites and arcade sensibilities. Like, yes, this this is something new. This is something fresh. Yeah, so like I think my I I'm a big fan of House Marks, but like it feels weird to say like I'm a low key like longtime fan because every time I play one of their games, it's always in these like not in the like okay I've bought the new House Mark game and I'm gonna spend time with it. Like it was always like when I bought my PSP Go, which is the first one that I had, I was like okay, it's like you know five dollars or whatever I'll play that, and I played it you know my entire Thanksgiving break that year, and like I just beat I just did everything. And then the same thing with like the the one on Vita. It's like well it's one of the few Vita games out there right now, so I'll spend a ton of time with it while I'm watching TV. and Next Machina was definitely the first one. It's like, oh yeah, those games are good. And I, I downloaded, got, I got a code back when I was at Game Informer, and I just played a bunch of it. Yeah, and it's never awesome. really finished every level, but like I got through a lot of, like I was perfecting, like trying to do as much possible, like getting S ranks and stuff in that game. And that game I love. So this is like the first, like you know what? I'm actually really excited for Housemark games, like because I, I think they do a lot of really cool stuff. Um, and I was kind of disappointed by when they said like, oh, we're, you know, arcade is dead. We're kind of done making those types of games. And they made this battle royale game. I forget what the name Storm of Divers. is. Storm Divers. Storm Divers, which they ended up, I think, not canceling, but like shelving. They're like, it's on a hiatus or whatever. Because they said, like, they said like, hey, we have a big new project with a mysterious new publisher. We need all hands on deck. So we'll put Storm Divers off to the side. But yeah, you mentioned it. Like, it's crazy that it's still up on Steam and... I can't imagine yeah. they'll go back to it, but technically it's there. Yeah, so like seeing this, I think it it seems like this is basically a housemark game, but with like the production values that would bring more people into it of like, well, this game has really good graphics, so I have to pay attention to it, right? And it's like a big Sony exclusive at a good time when they're on 
those right now, like yeah. this year. Uh, so it seems like, okay, all eyes are on Housemark right now. You have the floor. Like, let's see what you can do. And it's like, I was kind of like thinking like, I, I wonder if people who are really just into games with good graphics from big publishers, if they're going to kind of not jive with it because it's like, it is this very arcadey thing and how that the, the look of the game might clash with the gameplay, but it seems like everyone's like really excited about it. I think it's going to be a lot of people's first experiences with a roguelike or roguelite, I guess we should say technically, like, I don't know, Steve, what has been running through your mind playing it, but I'm playing this and I'm like, man, it seems like Hades really primed the pump for like a narrative focused roguelite here. I, I absolutely love how Housemark managed to weave the roguelike, the roguelike like elements into, into Returnal, the, you know, death being woven into the narrative. Um, and, and if you streamed it, then, you know, Celine encounters her own corpse very early on in the game. And that was like a mind blowing moment for me. Just, oh, wow, they're really going there. Like, you're not just, you know, it's not just like these vague audio recordings and you have to figure it out. You see your own dead body on the floor and you're, um, you know, and they also uh, let you encounter the dead bodies of other players, uh, which I th- thought was really interesting. I made the the mistake in my very first run of trying to uh, avenge a fallen uh, player, and I got smoked real quick because <laughs> uh, I was not ready for for what was waiting on the other side of that fight. Um, but I think that they did an amazing job kind of obfuscating those elements because in your first few runs, the I, I don't want to say the seams because that sounds inherently negative, but the, the fact that it is a roguelite doesn't really shine through until you've done a few runs and you realize, Oh, these are the same rooms and I'm okay. These are what the different door types are. And you know, these, you know, you encounter parasites and things and it, it starts to feel more like a roguelite, but the, I would say I didn't really start noticing that until about maybe five runs in until I died several times and started realizing, okay, this is that layout. And I know where the doors are in this room layout. Even if yeah, they, they change up like the enemies in each room and stuff like that. But yeah, I've definitely experienced that where it's an interesting I don't know, alternative compared to something like Hades, where with Hades, they have different rooms and different orders and stuff like that. And you don't really notice it or care too much because you're just focused on the enemies and fighting the enemies. Whereas in this game where there's a little bit more 3d platforming you tend to remember the rooms more like okay it's obviously randomized where these things are but now i'm in the room where there's the uh power up if i jump over and then go to the right to the right over here and then go down here to find this door here so like the fact that you're focused on the platforming kind of bakes into your brain a little bit more but it hasn't been obnoxiously repetitive or anything i think it does a good job of shaking it up and then there's also different biomes that you work your way through where it starts out very foresty and the entire game has a very prometheus vibe to it um art direction wise and then it'll shake it up and bring it to different environments later on which is a cool way to shake it up there but um you have made it beyond the first biome i presume the first yeah congratulations (laughs) don't talk to me about the second because i had a very uh I, i you know going back to what you said earlier you never feel like your deaths are unfair like yeah. they're not warranted. It's always, I didn't time this correctly or I missed this. And I happened, I was in bed last night playing this with my wife sitting right next to me. And I'm like, don't talk to me. I'm holding my breath. I'm fighting the the boss of the second biome. And I have them down to like one hit, but I'm also down to one hit. And um, he, he, you know, the bosses just go crazy with these bullet hell patterns, the lower they get on health. 
And so I'm down to just a few shots and I'm going to win it. And I get nervous and I jump and I dodge and I dodge right off a cliff and I killed and I killed myself. And I was, I put the controller down and I finally exhaled. I was like, Oh no, I'm, I'm back in the ruins. I was like just one shot and I would have made some substantial lasting progress. And I was like, I can't believe I, I choked that hard right at the end, but what do you it think? Is, it, but you want to go again almost immediately after that. So yeah, and the legend is just a quick jump cuts, bringing it through some, you know, seeing the ship crash again and again, or just her picking herself up out of the ruin of the ship. It's a really cool presentation style. Um, what do you think about the PS Five ness of everything here? It is so Returnal is an excellent showcase of the PS 5s tech. Um, you know, my my friend, kind of funny, blessing Adioye Junior. tweeted out something that. I was like, damn, I wish I'd tweeted this because he tweeted out just a video of his controller and you could hear the rain falling on Celine's suit. And I was like, that is one of those wow moments for me when I played it. The the use of, uh, you know, the the rumble in the PS5 controller, the haptics, sorry, <laughs> you know, whatever the brand name is these days. Right. Uh, the adaptive triggers work, work insanely well for the alt fire mechanic. And I do, do you like it that much? I'm a little bit torn on it. So the way it works is you do your normal fire with the gun. And then I think all guns have like an alt fire that cools yeah. down over time. Um, and to get that prepared, you hold the trigger down all the way instead of halfway. And that sounds like a pain in the ass, but with the PlayStation 5's adaptive triggers, like it really has a lot of resistance for that second half. So you can turn it off in the options if you want, but it is definitely something that I have to get used to of just, okay, to shoot my normal gun, hold the trigger, but not with all of my strength. Just, you gotta yeah. ease up a little bit. I I left it on and I liked it because, um, especially in a bullet hell game, it is easy for me to lose my cool and, and not execute properly. And it kind of served, uh, served as a reminder to me, like, hey, stay calm, you'll be fine, just observe what's happening on the screen and uh, use Celine's dash as needed to get through waves of bullets and just approach the enemies calmly and you'll probably survive a lot longer. But uh, in the heat of battle, I do still find myself occasionally like accidentally going full throttle on the trigger and then I'm like, nothing's coming out. I already used my alt fire. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> um, you know, it doesn't save me from dashing off a cliff, but I think that it's, uh, it- it's a cool mechanic. I really like what they've done uh, with the PS5s, you know, unique capabilities you know level loading is quick i I don't think you could pull off a roguelite with this level of detail to the environments on a system that doesn't have a high speed ssd like the ps5 or the series x yeah i'd love to see if they tried to get this game on the ps4 what it would look like and it's not night and day different experience but yeah it definitely feels like okay a good first step for like a good first party game here and it's just fun to see first parties funding a roguelite like, as far as I yeah. can tell, it's the first from any of the three, unless I'm forgetting something here. But in terms of, like, a big effort. Yeah, that that's one of those genres. I I feel the same way. I felt the same way about Battle Royales, where it's like, you know, you, you, you play a couple, and it's like, this is these are cool ideas, but I want to see the polished kind of AAA yes. version of it. As, yeah. as much as that kind of sucks, because I also like supporting indies and everything, you want to see the the version where a company can just put millions and millions of dollars into kind of taking that and doing their own spin on it. And this definitely looks like that case. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure some people are going to look at the $70 price tag of this one and say, I don't know. And so it's it definitely feels like 
a lot, but I mean, if you're on board for this experience that you can keep playing for a very long time and they have daily quests and all that stuff, as long as you know what you're getting into and the fact that this is a roguelite, don't expect a, a narrative experience in the traditional sense, you know, the third person shooter. I, I think it's going to find a home with a lot of fans. Um, and I'm just, I'm happy for Housemark. It just feels like yeah. they've really done it. It feels like this is them passing the test and I would not be surprised to see Sony buying them within six months here. Yeah, it definitely Agreed. rounds out their portfolio of, of developers in a way that, like, you know, they, they have, like, all these, high, like, high prestige, very very third-person action-oriented games, but nothing like Returnal from what I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah, and and especially, like Serial mentioned, when they put out that post, it it sounded like really dire straits for Housemark to be like, yeah. yeah, we've been making this style of game for so long, and they just don't sell, so we're going to have to change what we're doing. And when they followed that up with a Battle Royale, you know, when so many Battle Royales were also coming out at that time, it's like, oh, man, what are they doing? Are they going to survive it? It's cool that they were able to do something a little closer to what they're known for and what they're really good at, and hopefully, you know, that brings them success at least. Yeah. Um, let's see. People in the chat yesterday were asking a lot about different builds, different runs, how wildly different it is. Um, it is not Hades. <laughs> Just to be clear, this game is no Hades, but I like it. Um, but Steve, I'm curious, like, what you've learned from your hours playing the game about just the variability of the different builds. Do you feel like it's, you know, a completely different experience run to run? I, I wouldn't say it feels like a completely different experience. Um, I would liken each run of uh, Returnal to almost like playing a Metroid game, but you get different power-ups every time. So, so the core capabilities are always the same. Uh, you know, you you always have your dash, you always have, you know, your your breakneck speed, um, and you always have at least a pistol. Um, you know, but you you basically choose like different weapons and and the augments I wouldn't say are as wild in Returnal as they are in Hades, as right. you as you alluded to. Uh, you get parasites, and and which is a gross way of doing it, but cool, and it fits the world of Returnal. And they kind of latch on to Celine's body at different points, and uh, they provide different kind of power ups. Um, but you know, they also have have kind of a adverse effect as well, and that can vary. But they're not; they're always kind of in the same wheelhouse ish. Like you know, oh, this one will give you a malfunction, and you know that malfunction can can be wiped out by maybe killing three enemies with a melee attack or opening something or using a consumable. Uh, so it feels like you're, you're still playing the same core game, but you get some mild modifier modifiers attached to each run. Yeah. And I like the, uh, with the malfunctions, it always has like an objective in the upper left for how you can clear that malfunction from your yeah. system. Like it's very good at kind of that guided roguelite experience, but like, okay, this is where you're trying to go. The, the map is very clean, easy to read. It's very much just Metroid prime's map, but it's a beautiful map. Why not go for it? And it'll always show you like, okay, your objective is way over here. If you can just make it here without dying, which spoiler, you can't, then you can make a little progress in the main story here. But yeah. Uh, what, so what does the progression look like? You mentioned that it's not a rogue, like it's a rogue light or, you know, whatever we want to call those, but yeah. what, like what do subsequent runs, like how, how do they make those easier? Yeah, so you get to keep big equipment from run to run. You get to keep ether, which unlocks other stuff as well, other little perks. But Steve, yeah, you can probably speak better than this. Yeah, so uh, like you mentioned, there's there's ether, and that's a kind of a currency that you keep uh, holding on to. Right next to the Helios where it crashes, there's actually a obelisk kind of uh, structure where you can turn in ether to get 
artifacts and artifacts are are kind of just straight buffs that you can get so you can unlock an artifact for a set number of ether each turn and it steadily increases so you know it starts out at two then three then five and it keeps going up so you have to keep collecting ether fortunately the daily challenge in the ship grants you five ether every time you do it so you can you can i don't want to say farm ether because there's a pretty you know there's an day long timer on it but if you for whatever reason decide you need to farm ether then you can play the game log out come back the next day get some more until you have however many you need the other thing is that big equipment like you mentioned there's a sword that you can get which enables Celine to have a melee attack there's an item i haven't found yet in the second biome <laughs> which i assume is very useful um if i had to guess it's like a grappling hook or gun because yeah. there's a lot of grapple points everywhere on all the biomes and I still haven't got that item yet um, <laughs> because the game is insanely hard. Uh, and there's uh, as, as far as other things you can collect, I believe there's a, uh, there, there are some items that are very useful. You can get artifacts that bring Selene back to life one time and then they break. Um, you can also activate machines throughout the world uh, at the cost of a significant amount of ether that will also return her to life. So you can get kind of extra lives so that you don't go all the way back when you die. Um, but as far as just progression, it's equipment mainly. Yeah. Uh, Serial, are you getting this thing? Uh, probably. Like I still have near near to work through. And so like there are, there are a bunch of other like major releases this month or this coming month. But yeah, it's it's definitely on my list of games I, I should probably check out sooner rather than later. Yeah, I'm curious to see what everybody else thinks of it. It definitely feels like one of those games that we'll look back when we're at the end of the generation and look back on Returnal and be like, what a cool thing. I'm so glad that that game exists. It's, it's going to be, uh, I think, a favorite for a lot of folks out there. So Returnal on PlayStation 5. Um, Steve, if you could point people into one direction content-wise, what would you point them towards over there? Absolutely. Uh, please feel free to join us over on our YouTube channel, Good Vibes Gaming. Um, we don't have a fancy uh, custom URL yet, so if you go to good-vibes-gaming.com, that points to our crazy YouTube username, which is a bunch of letters and numbers that don't make sense. <laughs> uh, so good-vibes-gaming.com will get you straight to our channel. All our other contact info is up there for you to check out. If you just drop us a sub, we would be more than happy to uh, try our best to entertain you. That's perfect. Hey, Steve, thank you so much for joining us. It was kind of a last second thing, but I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm glad to talk games with you guys anytime you want. Beautiful. Um, also, um, do you have thoughts on Kyle Hilliard? I know you're a positive guy, but you can be negative if you want. <laughs> uh, Just, I do not have thoughts. Dang it. I was really hoping I could get already has a daughter. Yeah, he has a daughter. Just say he has a daughter. He, he has a daughter? All right. Great. All right. Hey, Steve, thank you so much for being here. Do you want to clap out, buddy? <laughs> All right. Here you go. Kyle Hilliard, welcome back. I'm back. You returnaled. Go. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I avoided uh, all the returnal secrets. But I'm going to go back and listen to that segment. So hopefully you didn't talk crap about me. Please do. Hey, uh, near replicant. Version 1.22474487139. Um, you've all been playing this? Yeah. This I've is been playing yeah. quite a bit. Yeah. This is amazing. Um, yeah, Surreal, I'm trying to figure out who's near fan number one. Surreal, you seem the most eager know. for these codes. Uh, yeah, it was actually weird because I, I, 
by the time the code came in, I realized I'd already bought it. So I wasn't able <laughs> to actually use the, use the code. Uh, but y- yeah, I feel like I have a weird history with that game. When, when I played it, like as I was playing it, I was like, I don't think this game is very good. Like a lot of the quest is, or I'm talking about Automata. Oh, okay. Uh, the, the 2017 game. Like, I don't think this game is good. Like everyone see, like I remember the first thing I heard about near Automata was Joe's review uh, in Game Informer. And he was like one of the lower scoring games, uh, review scores for that game. And he, I think he gave it like a seven, seven, and five or something yep. um and he was like oh i like that game and i look back on it fondly but you know like i don't think it was great so i was like okay near i could totally like uh forget about it and that turns out to not be the case uh, everybody loves this game flip their <laughs> lids for it for your still uh and that was like the same year that breath of the wild came out too um but i i think i went into it like that game the end of that game made me cry uh, which not a lot of games do, but I remember thinking like that is it, it almost felt like brothers to me, where it was like this is a, a, a like ten, eleven out of ten moment in a in like an otherwise seven out of ten game for me. Uh, but like the more I think about like in in the years since, like I look back look back on that game really fondly. Yeah. And so now you wanted to check out where it all started back with a remake, sorry, remaster yeah. technically of Near from 2010, which is what Near Replicant is. Yeah, so this I think like the the version number is like the square root of one point five. So uh, like so it's basically like we're here's like our remaster update, collect, you know, game of the year edition, whatever. Uh, like the biggest thing I think for returning fans uh, is that they have an ending e now. So like uh, Yoko Taro games tend to have a thing where you have to play through the game multiple times and you unlock new things and new endings and stuff. So I think I guess they just ended at ended d at ending d before, and now they have an ending e. Uh, which has a bunch of prerequisites like you have to you have to collect every weapon in the game to see it um but yeah like i i think what i've said so far about automata is sort of what holds true for replicant so far where you're waiting for the big story moments to make it feel super worthwhile yeah i feel like i'm giving it like the biggest benefit of a doubt right now because like i've spent 10 hours with it and like 90 percent of that has been side quests uh and like they're okay but they're very mmo like uh, a lot of them are actually like really tedious and kind of frustrating because you know like one of the later ones is you have to collect all these different ingredients from killing animals but it's like you know like it's like an mmo where you know there's like a 10 percent chance that that item will drop when you kill something so yeah. you're going into these fields and just killing things over and over again to get these these items so like so far it feels like this is not great you just don't get it, man. You don't understand yeah, it. But like, I, I, but there's, there's something so yeah. weird about seeing the environments, too. Like, you can, you can yeah. really feel in the environments that, like, okay, this is a game from 2010 that's been remastered. Because a lot of them are just kind of, like, awkwardly large and barren. Like, a lot of the indoor stuff. It's like, okay. And then the crazy thing is, like, there's still, like, some of the rooms are 2D when you're in them. It's really a wild game. Yeah. I think um, I'll, most of the interiors are, are have that, like, 2D perspective. But, yeah, I feel like it is the biggest example like it could end up being the biggest example of it being more than the sum of its parts because there are yeah like even now i really like that song that plays in the overworld uh the, i think it's called song <laughs> of the ancients but yeah it's, like there, there's like a random chance that it'll there will be vocals in it and like i think that uh that like those vocals are really good and you know some of the side quests do actually have like really strong moments but they're all like they're all fully voice acted which i did i was not expecting like so far every every line of dialogue has been fully voiced which is cool which is yeah the um, new thing for for the remake make here and it's yeah. localized by uh 8-4 sarah bazorsi's yeah. f- yeah. alum it's yeah so like that the, the <laughs> localization is amazing 
but like a lot of it is you 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 very much see it as a game that is doing a lot with a little where like they're outside of the main story there aren't really any cutscenes you just go up to them and they kind of I don't even know if they if their mouths move but you'll hear them you'll hear the dialogue from them and like the stories they have are like fine so far there's one st- there's one story line that I really like but a lot of them are just like oh I need you to go fetch me this thing and then you go fetch them and it's like okay great yeah. uh, and like part of me is like doing this like four dimensional chess thing of like are they commenting on the idea that this is like this is war because that's kind of your role as the character um, is that your job is to do jobs for people uh, and so you're doing a lot of jobs for people uh so i wonder if they're just like yeah they, we're trying to make it tedious on purpose in a lot of ways or is it just like not is it just this is what we had to do to to for these things to be the vehicle for all the voice acting and stuff yeah yeah so okay you're chewing on the meals trying to figure out what's going on and jeff um, as someone who doesn't play a lot of rpgs i'm so fascinated by your take on dear replicant yeah um and i didn't i never played automata so this i i kind of went into it completely clean i understand that automata is supposed to be amazing for some reason uh the this prequel i'm i was assuming they were bringing back for because it it also had some kind of genius to it um but i'm still very much i'm still within that first 10 hour window that i hear is like the part that you have to get over for to get good um but uh, the gameplay so far has been better than I guess I expected, especially from kind of a JRPG, which is not to say that they there haven't been good action RPG, JRPGs before. Um, but it's it's been an interesting mix of like weird bullet hell shoot 'em up and pro, you know like projectile attacks, and then the you know fairly standard melee i'm i'm still waiting for that to get more interesting and it seems like the word book like like editing words and stuff may may make that more interesting but i haven't gotten any anything that's super exciting besides like you know this is a two percent attack bonus if i equip that word and whatnot and so Yeah. yeah so far it has it has just been a lot of fetch quests which i was okay with at first and then they and then like I got sent on one that was like, go to this, go to the area. It's this whole other area to talk to this person. And I went there, I got lost. There was a ladder I didn't see that I had to look up in a walkthrough. When I finally got there, I talked to the person I was supposed to, which he wasn't even, he was hidden in a building. And then, and then my book was like, oh, I guess this was a load of crap and there's nothing here. You should go back and talk to Paloma again. It's like, oh, Jesus. This, this this whole this main quest was a fetch quest and <laughs> i didn't even fetch anything while doing it it is weird how episodes of the podcast line up where it's like this is really the bullet hell episode because like there's so many <laughs> of kind of the neon blasts that are very you know emblematic of near and it's like oh it feels like returnal in a way mm-hmm. it's all the same you know what but just, yeah the, the oh, gameplay has been fun and the like the environments are interesting they they are certainly like you said very spaced out and there's not a ton in them besides some really good looking sheep in like mm. the main the main field but it's it's kind of interesting locations that you're going to visit yeah like even the- if even if any individual like area that you're going through within it like the one you go to the lost shrine or whatever and it's like that same room with boxes in it it's like oh but this configuration's a little different go through that 10 times now but yeah and it, but I, i've also liked the the boss fights that i've done so far too those have been more interesting so 
Yeah, like the, there are some like the you like all the the like the texture count or poly count is like pretty low since it is a remaster. But I, you know, they they do some interesting things with the with the art direction. Like there's a, the sea seafront. I don't know if you've either of you have been there. Like I think that's a really good looking town in that it looks kind of like something like you know, Greece or Israel, like something from the Mediterranean where it's like all these like very square uh, buildings and it looks really like it looks gorgeous. It just like it just doesn't look like, you know, an uncharted game. Um, but like there is kind of like the idea of just it being in that world, I think, is maybe my favorite part of it more so than like any of the gamey stuff about it, which is like, you know, going going and doing these quests. Right. Yeah, people watching us live uh, at the Backstage Past here on Patreon, the $10 tier, uh, a lot of big fans of the Nier series. Like, Killslayer here is saying that he thinks that he likes the cast of characters in Replicant more than Automata, but Automata's gameplay was stronger. Um, but the stories or the characters themselves seem good. I mean, I, I like the I like Vice. He's kind of like the uh, the the book. You find like this magical book that is supposed to help you uh, cure your sister of an illness. Uh, and so, like, th it's weird how much commentary they have on individual quests. So, like, anytime you do something, you know, like it'll say like, "Oh, you completed this quest where you helped uh, this guy." You know, this guy was teaching you how to fish. And then after you're done, like after everything's said and done, like there will have like some incidental dialogue between those two characters about like, "Well, what is that guy's deal?" Like basically that kind of that kind of thing. And so like they're banter i think has been uh pretty good so far and you have these regular check-ins with your sister and like it, right now it all feels like setup because i haven't i'm not super far into the main story at all i've done our side quests which just feel like one-off self-contained things yeah so but i'm definitely like i said at the beginning bracing for like okay it is establishing expectations with the hope of breaking them later on so i'm i'm hoping that that is what ends up happening because right now it seems like okay pretty like you know mid-tier rpg that i'm hoping you know, gets more interesting later. Totally, yeah. Judging Automata by, you know, well, I finished it once. There we go. It's like, that's such a sliver of the Nier experience. I'm sure Nier fans are screaming right now. Hanson, um, Hanson when you say that, uh, like, do subsequent playthroughs of it get any shorter or easier? Yeah. Or Okay. Because yeah, when, like, you, when you say it's like, oh, now there's a fifth ending, it's like, great, I'm never going to see that. Yeah, they, they definitely get uh, shorter because, like, for one, you're not doing as many side quests, like, not nearly as many. So right. the, the main path is actually a lot shorter. And then, you know, in, in like, the third and fourth, or this was the case in Automata, where, like, the third and fourth ones are, are like, very, very abridged in that you start at a very different starting point in those last okay. few playthroughs. Uh, Kyle, you have yes. been eerily silent this entire oh. time. <laughs> No, not, I'm not trying to be coy or anything. I was just wanted to hear Serial and Jeff's thoughts. I, I, I think I'm a little hotter on it than you guys. It's actually, you said at the beginning, what you say you were trying to rank who the, the, the biggest Nier fan yeah. was. I, I'm married to her. Like, I know, Nier is I know. her favorite game of all time, like, period. Automata or, or Replicant? The original. Okay. The original on Xbox 360. Um, and, like, so it's been this, like, it's it's one that's, like, always been on my, my backlogs it's like i got to see what's why she likes this so much like what's so interesting about it and i played through near automata once which i know is not like the full picture and i was like that eh, seems fine i'll get back to it and and serial's pitch earlier actually makes me more eager to revisit it and pick up that second playthrough and so on and so forth but yeah i do i know a little i vaguely know a little bit of like you know the ending so to speak and it kind of like recontextual, it does recontextualize a lot of what you're doing, which is something I'm really excited to learn more about. And like, I, 
I just, I generally like just the setting of Replicant more than Automata. Like, I, I, there's just something, I, I don't know. Like, I like going to the area. I think it looks really cool. I like having the town. You have your little farm. Like, it just feels more home, homely, I guess you could say. I just, like, I'm more interested in, in exploring it as someone who, who in theory grew up in that setting rather than being, like, an android that's, like, being dropped down to go explore. And also, Automata had the the poor timing of being the game I basically played right after Breath of the Wild. Right. And I just was like, I can't take these walls <laughs> like right yeah. now. I, I like, I think if I went back to it now, it would be fine. I like games with walls. They're great. But to play it immediately after Breath of the Wild, I was just like, this is not, this is not clicking for me right now. But, um, really enjoying it and i'm ex- i think it's one that i will do the multiple playthroughs and stuff like that i'm really having a good time yeah with. i i would i would say though that if you're interested if you like want to see the lore stuff you do definitely want a, a walkthrough because i think a lot of the quests i think are actually not like super well designed and they'll you know for example there's a, a series of fishing mini quests that are like go catch go catch this fish oh but, you know, i do not like the fishing by the way to to for one negative knock against the game the fishing i find really frustrating yeah like it's <laughs> it's like I, I don't think it's that bad i think it's actually more involved than a lot of fishing mini games and that you have to you constantly pull away from you know whatever direction they're in but uh like they'll tell so you long and i'm getting nothing but cans dude <laughs> I mean, yeah so like you have to like so for example they they want you to catch sardines and the game doesn't really tell you at all unless you go to the fishing shop and look at the the lug water or the lug bait something that starts with lug that says oh these are for freshwater fish and you have to realize that sardines are freshwater fish so you have to buy <laughs> that specific lure and that'll increase your chances okay. of getting sardines and so like they do that for every fish and they don't tell you where to fish them because like that beach is you're gonna have to go different places than that uh but the game doesn't communicate that at all so a lot of this stuff is like the game just doesn't tell you anything so i i have like no qualms about using a guy for like okay like this guy wants me to find x number of materials where do i go get them so in that sense it is very mmo like and like you're just kind of grinding this stuff out without like the kind of zelda ish like okay this guy gave me a hint about where I need to go. Like, let me figure that out. Like right. that, that kind of chain of thinking is kind of completely yeah. busted here. And in lieu of going through the colossal headache of typing things into Google, do you mind if I just text you serial? Is that okay? <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, I'll probably just end up giving you the guy that I've been using. Uh, Cause it's like, okay, you're like, the you guy want, that I you, want to be you want the I don't ending. want you to give me a guide. But like, it's like, there's a list of every side quest that is just like, here's how you do everything basically. Okay, here's okay. All the, but the big thing is that if you see a sword in a shop, try to make that your goal. Cause like the thing that you want to get is all the weapons. Gotcha. Okay. You know, it's a really small thing in this game that I really like is the automatic running. Just like if you're in an open mm. environment, you're running for a certain amount of time, it'll just automatically pop you into faster running. I think that's such a smart and, little system. And you can roll. If you roll, that that gets you sprinting sooner. Even. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, and it's it, it has my favorite thing in video games from, you know, Ocarina of Time, Jack and Daxter. You can you can smash that roll button to go faster. So I am mm. rolling my way across the field yeah. and I'm having a ball. Yeah, but but don't do that if a random guard has given you a package yep. that you have to deliver without <laughs> yes, breaking yeah. it because I did that. The second I walked away from him, I was like, okay, rolling on to my destination. And yeah. it broken and you get you get that familiar dialogue from vice right where he's like mm, that does not sound good <laughs> yeah i just like the image of the guard like okay here's this very fragile thing and you immediately just like as soon as you leave just bought like trip over yourself and break it and you're like i told you it was fragile here's another one they're, they're surprisingly understanding those guards they're like yeah i thought this might happen i happen to have 14 of these so go ahead I, give it another shot the wolves I, won't I, attack you this time i we hope 
I thought you were an idiot, so I made a backup just in case. <laughs> uh, people might know this, but I'm still so fascinated by the legacy of Nier and Yoko Taro, the you know, creator, and it's so weird. So this Nier game, the original, the remake that we're talking about here, remaster, is based on... <laughs> For a game known for all of its endings, Jeffum, did you know this weird backstory that this near is a continuation of the fifth possible ending in Drakengard for the PS2? Like, yeah, that's it's um, it's the most Drakengard insane. 3, right? Is it Drakengard three? I think it's the first it one. Be. Okay. Well, it's it's that it's that thing that I love that it was like one. I I I think I pitched it even as a top ten list of Game Informer one time where it's like spin-offs that end up becoming more popular than the thing they spun right, off from. Like right. Dynasty Warriors is an example. Persona has now like totally, you know, upended Shin Megami. And I feel like Nier, everyone knows Nier before they know Drakengard now. Rabbids. It's such a weird thing that happens. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's it's a wild story. It's just like for a game that has so many endings, now they can just build up a new series based on, oh, of course, the E ending from Automata. That's the basis for a new series. And these yeah. diehard and, fans and are going to find it. I, and I, from what I understand, I don't think it's even like the, you know, like the ending E super commutative ending. It's like, I almost want to say it's like if the, if there was a Silent Hill sequel based on like the alien ending from Silent right. Hill 2 or something. Right. Like, it's like, we are basing our entire next several years of our lives off the fact that aliens at some point arrive in Silent Hill. <laughs> well, awesome. I want the dog ending if we're going to pick one. Yeah, that's one, true. Right? Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> would there be a better selling Silent Hill sequel option than if they went with the Shiba ending? And just that was the basis was Ashiba is controlling it. Can you imagine all those weirdos on Twitter freaking out endlessly about that? It would it would have done better than the the twin stick Vita game. Wow, well, book of memories. You gotta leave it alone. I mean, uh, if they did any Silent Hill game at this point, it would sell super well. Yeah, you're right. It would still melt Twitter. But uh, that is near replicant. Everybody out on God. Is it just last gen? It is PS4 and Xbox One and PC. Although I've heard some not so good things about the PC. Yeah, it seems like it's another okay port. I think it's sitting like very positive on Steam for okay. with a game with such a fashionate fanboys fan base. It's like that seems a little bit lower than maybe it should be. But yeah, I've had I've only had like one issue with Xbox One where like a, a, a woman needed mutton. I brought her mutton and she just still needs mutton, but I can't <laughs> give her any more mutton. Yeah, so she'll I, just I, always I have, have that icon over her heads. But I have that same glitch on PS4 or PS5. I've, you know, I've run into a glitch where the. Uh, cinematic bars are see-through and it's really annoying that's the D, it's such a weird thing i know i know but they should they should just let me turn it off it is such a, a distracting like why so why just to explain this? this so it's like it's like the cutscenes are letterboxed except the letterbox is slightly see-through it looks like if you have a newer iphone with like the multiple lenses the camera how they have like the top and bottom kind of slightly opaque that's what they go for but i guess it helps for like reading subtitles but it is so distracting all the time. Yeah. But anyways, that's near replicant, everybody. Check it out if you're interested. Um, hey, Kyle. Because mm. you got the clap fever. Do you want to uh, make room for some Keep new talent clapping, here? buddy. You saying I have the clap? Is that what's going That's on? right, sir. Okay, here we go. I'm going to clap again. Goodbye. Leo Vader. Vader. Welcome, Hi. Leo. How's it going, man? So great. Thanks for having me. What's your week been like? Well, you know, I've been busy. Did another Fuser stream. Like on the official Fuser <laughs> Twitch account, right? Yeah. Leo, again, every episode is just ask Kiss Rodeo, and I apologize ahead of time. But 
the idea of a company reaching out and saying, hey, do you want to stream like your DJ mixes on our official Twitch channel and also kind of dance along to them for hours? The idea of like dancing for thousands of people on Twitch, I think would give a heart attack to so many people and you embrace it so hard. And it's really, <laughs> it's a work of art out there, man. Uh, thank you. To be fair, I reached out to them. There was like a request form. And to also be fair, it is not thousands of people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but still it feels like it but it's Only yeah time. i've the certainly archive. never danced in front of that many people before no there we go perfect um uh let's see um jeff um do you yes. know how this whole thing operates it operates on leo's dancing that's right which you can find at patreon.com slash minmax with two wins everybody thanks for the support that is what keeps us rolling here. Huge thanks to our biggest supporters like The Initiative, the tabletop game from Unexpected Games. The Initiative is a cooperative board game of clever strategy, code breaking, and visual storytelling. The story is told through a 42-page comic book. A page is read before each mission to set the stage and show the consequences of your actions. The Initiative has gameplay that is a unique blend of strategy and puzzle solving. It's from legendary game designer, Corey Kaneska from Battlestar Galactica, the board game. One of your favorites, right, Jeffum? True. Mansions of Madness, Star Wars Rebellion, Star Wars Outer Rim. Um, the Initiative, everybody. It is quite good. Uh, Jeffum, we haven't really talked about it yet. I don't think you've been on the podcast during this plug segment, no. but I've been playing it. Um, I had two long weekend sessions with this game. We're like halfway through the story. Genuinely one of my favorite tabletop games in a very, very long time. It is very nice. fun. Have you looked into it at all? A little bit, yeah. I saw a couple other reviews, and it certainly looks intriguing. Yeah, it's like if you like aspects of Betrayal, especially stuff like Betrayal Legacy, just having this ongoing story combined with something like an escape room, like it's just, it's a perfect blend. And there's just enough story to keep you going along and a little bit of role-playing if you want to with the characters. But yeah, it's, it's very fun. So The Initiative is the name of that tabletop game from Unexpected Games. Thanks for the support. Wait a minute. Serial? Yeah. What's that sound? Oh, I, I, I think someone's going along. No, Serial, that's Rainmaker with <laughs> oh, Rainmaker.gg. This week, MinMax is once again supported by our friends at Rainmaker.gg. Rainmaker is the all-in-one platform for streamers, developers, and publishers. If you're a streamer, Rainmaker gives you insight on your channel's performance and a full suite of streaming tools, including overlays, tipping services, chatbots, alerts, and more. Plus, you can get access to game keys from the world's best AAA and indie publishers. This week, check out game key campaigns like Turnip Boy Commits Tax Evasion from Snoozy Kazoo and Graffiti Games. <laughs> uh, for devs and publishers, Rainmaker provides powerful tools that help you analyze game performance and discover creators on the world's biggest streaming platforms. And when it's time to get your name out there, Rainmaker's campaigns feature makes it simple to put keys into the hands of thousands of content creators around the globe. So you can head to rainmaker.gg slash minmax or hit the link in the episode's description to get started. That's rainmaker.gg slash minmax. Thanks to Rainmaker. Also, thanks to our fine friends, fine friends indeed, over at I Am 8-Bit uh, every week. Because they're so generous, they give away a wonderful gift to the MinMax community. We take all of the questions and comments submitted at patreon.com slash MinMax with two ends, which you can uh, leave a comment or question if you support us at any tier. We go through all those. We find our absolute number one favorite question of the week, and then I am 8-Bit. We'll ship them out something very nice. And this week, of course, it is the Battletoads double vinyl soundtrack. 
So thank you to iM8Bit. And they also want everybody to know that you can go to their wonderful online store and get the Disco Elysium Final Cut Collector's Edition. It is a PlayStation 5 version, comes with a fabric map, art book, statue, hand-painted, mind totem vinyl sculpture, 190-plus page hardbound art book featuring oodles of previously unreleased art and stories. That fabric map is illustrated and it shows off the town. It is a physical edition of Disco Elysium with a reversible cover over there at the I Am 8-Bit wonderful online store, which if you go there, you can get anything for under $100 and get 10% off of that by using the promo code April Fools. April Fools, all one word, will get you 10% off anything in I Am 8-Bit's wonderful online store. Should we get to these wonderful questions? Let's yeah. Do it. All right. Do it. Very good questions this week, everybody. If you submitted a question, um, I love you and I need you in my life because these are unbelievable. Come on over. So come on over. John Lee writes in. He says, salutations. Come on. What's better than that? Uh, He says, what's what's the first thing in gaming that you can remember blowing your mind? I think for me, it was when my cousin showed me the top secret area in Super Mario World, free Yoshi power-ups and lives. Life changing. Good one, John. I was just thinking last night about the first time I played Oblivion on Xbox 360, creating a character in that. I felt like that was, you know, obviously present in RPGs for a long time, but has not in a mainstream way that kid me was interested in. And finally making a character in Oblivion and like picking your sign you were born under, just the sheer level of detail you could put into who you're going to be, that really was staggering. And do you go for like... Um... A big cat person, and you go for a little Leo Vader running around on the screen. Back then, it was a little Leo Vader running mm-hmm. around, but now playing Elder Scrolls Online recently for no reason, Argonian. Nice. Wait, it's interesting. You go from Fallout seventy six to Elder Scrolls Online recently. You know, I think about what games I might want to play that I already own and wanted to pay for, and then I think about which of them have cooking in them, and I play those. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I've been at lately. Uh, Jeff, do you know what he's talking about with the Mario World? Uh, free Yoshi stuff? Uh, yeah, I do. That one didn't blow my mind, though. Oh. Never had I, I think mind. I think mm. mine, um, I remember Donkey Kong Country came out and had amazing graphics because they did, like, the rotoscoping, like, fake 3D thing. And I remember that one specifically because my cousins came over and <laughs> and one of them had to borrow the glasses of his brother to like do like the Google eyes, like <laughs> look at how amazing these graphics are. Uh, the first time he saw Donkey Kong. Wait, because it's was that a bit? Was he like, hold on, I need to borrow your glasses so I can. No, for some reason, I don't know if they had similar prescriptions or something, but he was, <laughs> but his brother was like, oh my God, this is amazing. He's like, give me oh, your glasses. So, he, so the family so he could, could like, afford? He, had, he literally had to borrow his brother's glasses so that he could see how good the graphics were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that visual is rooted in reality. That is. And now the weird irony of the whole situation is if, if you see Donkey Kong Country running on an HDTV, you actually take your glasses off and smudge them and be like, I need to yeah. clean. Uh, what is happening? So, so you don't have to look at it. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But the, the other one that stuck out for me was uh, the first time I played Grand Theft Auto 3, even yeah. though that was much later in time. But that was, that was I, I think I've mentioned it before but the first time i saw like little tiny thumbnails of that in egm it was like oh my god this is like the fantasy game like the dream game i've been waiting for and it like 
it's very rudimentary now, but back then, like it was like, oh my god, they pulled it off. It's I'm in a 3D city. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is huge. You're right. That's a that's a colossal one. Uh, I think for me, a couple things with the original PlayStation. First of all, realizing that some games, PlayStation games, you could put in a CD player and it would play the soundtrack to that game. <laughs> like Twisted yeah. Metal One, I remember did that, and I was like what are you talking about? That is the craziest freaking thing I've ever heard in my life. And the other one is the secret little lesson in game development, I guess, um, with that idea that with some games, you could (laughs) open it up and take it out of the PlayStation and still continue playing it. Like that freaked me out. It was always fun (laughs) to see like what fell apart in the game and when it stopped working. And it's like, oh, the lesson is just like, that is everything it's able to store in RAM at that moment you can keep coasting on. It's such a weird, funky idea to be like, look, the game's here, but it's also on the screen. Me and my friend tried to play Miami Vice on PSP co-op by doing that, by playing it and popping up the UMD because it would keep running. We were like, maybe we can do it with this one UMD. (laughs) That's absurd. Did it work? No, <laughs> but you're just that hot and heavy we about playing know, Miami Vice Ram at the time. We were like, oh, it's just like telling the PSP you own it. And then it's a <laughs> lie. Right. But Miami Vice. I don't know why that was the one we had around at the time that had go off. But yeah, uh, mine was, I think, uh, at the height of our Pokemania, uh, we were I think we, we were I think we were all playing Pokemon. And at some point, uh, a couple of our cousins came over and we i think we were watching a tv show and playing uh like me my brother and i were playing pokemon and at some point i don't think they had anything on them but they were like they were just kind of sitting in silence i think and they were older than us i want to say because at some point randomly like in like it was just complete silence because we were playing pokemon and you know watching tv and he just popped up and said like hey you want to know how to get 99 master balls and we were both like wait what <laughs> And he showed us the trick of how to do the like the missing number thing on uh, on Cinnabar Island, and we were just like our minds were just like, "What? I cannot believe games are made out of anything other than magic. This is ridiculous." <laughs> and they were like, "No, but you have." And it was weird because they were had you have to do it this specific way, or it'll wipe your save. Uh, so we were like, "Okay, we were we felt like we were like summoning Satan or something." <laughs> and then uh, you did like, "Okay, you're gonna reach deep into this game and pull out these 99 Master Balls, but there's a monster there that could destroy your entire save." That's amazing. Uh, yeah. um, do you want to know why I think I'm a bad person and I'll probably meet Satan someday? You're it, a missing number. I am a missing number. <laughs> no, uh, because uh, I remember being at my friend's house one time and he had a younger brother, and so like. Of course, you have to make fun of the younger brother. There's no other way to go about it. But he was playing Pokemon, and I booted up his Game Boy, used his Master Ball on a Weedle, and then saved it. Wow. <laughs> it was really a cruel move, and I don't know how <laughs> I feel about it. I don't think there's any redemption for me. I think it's all downhill. No. What yeah. was... The, did he ever find out? Like I assume, but like compared to Noogies, I'm sure he's like, well, this could have been worse. <laughs> Or whatever. This is better than a noogie, I guess. <laughs> North of noogie. Um, and also, this is a very specific memory, and I I don't think it's true, but it has stood out to me so much that I don't even want to know if it is true, but in the snowboarding game 1080 on N64, um, my cousin told me, because at, at the intro, the intro video, it's like 1080, and my cousin told me that it only started saying 1080 at the start of the game after you landed a 1080 in the game. And I was like, that is the coolest idea. And I still don't know if it's true. I 
don't think no it way. is. But, but that's an awesome idea, isn't it? Like, just to hold on that? Like, who would ever think of that? That's a good idea. And they probably didn't. Um, anyways, Duke Faison writes in. He says, Hello, Midmax crew. In the early days of gaming, it was the norm to play as the hero, the good guy, the police, and so on. But today, we have many examples of playing as the bad guys. What made the change? What are the major titles that changed the norm, and what are some early examples, you think? We found out the police are the bad guys. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, Part one, yeah. I, I want to say it, it might have been another Bioshock thing. or I mean, it goes back as, as far back as like GTA, right? Where you're like, there are no pretenses about you being a good person. Like all you're doing is committing crimes and, you know, working your way up, you know, criminal enterprises. But I think in terms of like why it's so popular now, yeah, I think Bioshock might have been one of those games where it's like, wait a second, are we the baddies? Or like, you know, it's kind of turning the idea of the actions in video games that most that most people do are inherently not great, like in, in context when you actually would perform them. Um, I wonder but I if think um, it comes to big budget things. I wonder if Shadow of the Colossus would kind of get us a little bit of the way there. It, I know that one's a little bit yeah. murkier, but just for that questioning. Yeah. I, I was also going to say, I think in a weird way, like, Walter White and that kind of generation of television storytelling where it's like we're embracing we're embracing protagonists that are flawed people and it like have very serious you know problems with their personalities and I I feel like there's been that kind of evolution of video game storytelling and telling more complex narratives than just like I'm the good guy and I'm gonna go shoot bad guys I think there's a whole generation of developers who have grown up since then and are interested in telling more nuanced stories nowadays so they're they're also drawn that's more like the kind of shadowy gray area of like what makes a protagonist bad or good as opposed to just playing as a criminal but i think that's also a sign that we've been evolving as a medium yeah um joseph dowdy writes and he says hello cohorts question for jeffum and Jeffem only, and if anybody else thinks of answering this question, they are cursed. Um, he says, oh, could wow. you tell me the difference between a board game and a tabletop game? Does a board game require a physical board? Does a tabletop game require a surface of some kind? I need answers. Leo, did you want to take this one? <laughs> well, they both require a surface. You fool! Uh, You're cursed. <laughs> Jeffem, what is the difference? Your master ball is gone now. There's a weedle inside it. <laughs> that old expression. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's, there's no difference. You're thinking about it too hard. I I think tabletop games just, they can also encompass like tabletop RPGs and you probably would lump in like miniatures games and war games. There are a couple other kind of genres that are adjacent to like traditional board game that, that may be more comfortable it being called a tabletop game, but mostly it's... It, it's fine. If if anyone was ever going to make fun of you because you said tabletop game as opposed to board game, you should not play any games with that person. Yeah. It's it's pretty inclusive terminology. Do you think it kind of has grown out from, if you say you're really into board games, people, there was definitely that era where people would be like, I like Monopoly? And so just to try and differentiate the hobby from objectively crappy games. A, a little bit. There's There's also the term designer board games now mm. that people will throw around and as far as i can tell that just means like i play good board games um <laughs> so there's yeah there's that too i think it's it's just as the as the entire hobby has grown and become more 
more popular nowadays. That I think the people are looking for a, a kind of different ways to to differentiate themselves from the older. Yeah, definitely. Gotcha. Uh, Jason Daphnis, co-host and producer of Crossfade, our standalone music podcast. Subscribe uh, on your favorite podcast app. He didn't write that, but I did. Um, he says, right now, Surreal, top of your head, no Googling. How many digits in the title of the new Nier game can you accurately guess in the right order? Uh, 1.227. Oh! 1.224? Yes. 1.2247? Yes! Yes! Uh, I think that's about as far that as that is. That is so much better than I thought. Jeffem, can you <laughs> guess the next number? 1.224713. I'm sorry. It's 4-4 four, four after that. That's embarrassing. Leo, that can you it. believe these schmucks? Well, well to be fair, it's kind of a spoiler for the ending, so it's better you don't know. Oh, interesting. Uh, Sean Mason writes in. He says, recently, I was playing a Jeopardy game with my seventh grade students, and I couldn't believe how many of them were sore losers. It was like they had never experienced losing a game in their life. It got to the point where one student threw his Chromebook on the floor, smashing the screen. <laughs> wow. <laughs> over over a, a school God. version of Jeopardy. Yeah. Oh, daily double. Uh, so God. my question is, what is the worst display of someone being a sore loser you've ever seen? I'm still lingering on that image. <laughs> if I did that when I was a kid, I would come home and just disappear into dust. My parents would just delete me. <laughs> Which all parents can do at any moment if they yeah. want to. They can, they can undo their sons. <laughs> Son do, they call it. <laughs> Does anybody have a good example of just terrible being a sportless uh, loser? I, I can't remember what the name of the game was, but there's this... One blowhard who lost it, and then he spent like four months insisting that the game was rigged against him and that it shouldn't have counted to begin with, and then they overthrew the U.S. Capitol. Hey, 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 this, guy, hey. this guy's really something. Uh, but, but no, to talk about Fortnite. Yeah, that, <laughs> to go along with the original question, I've I've noticed that with my with my nieces and nephew, like I've. Because I buy them like you know appropriate weight uh, board games for them as and we we do like game nights with the kids and stuff and it's it's really interesting that like you have to teach kids how to lose right yeah and, and that's like a whole lesson and I and I don't know I don't know how you actually do it yet because that's something that I'm also interested in now that you know I have a little baby who's too young so far but it's like. Like, where did my brother go wrong? Because I think he's he's a good parent overall, but clearly, like, his kids have not learned that. And one of them just doesn't want to play board games at all anymore yeah. because she lost a couple times and now she really hates it. His son, like, will just openly weep and <laughs> and get, like, I don't super know upset. If, I don't know if it's your brother blowing it. I think just all kids are that petty and hollow and sensitive. I think it yeah. takes a lot to get over that. I, I think it does, but I don't. I don't know what the steps are that we all went through. You know, like playing video games and stuff, where it's like, like none of us care if we lose a game, right? I I have well, gotten really pissy a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't. Like yeah, I, don't really, I think I can win. 
I'm definitely not as good of a sport as I want to be. I think gaming definitely brings that out of people. I notice it in my friends, not just myself. And I, I think that's, a, you know, something similar with sports or whatever. It's just the competitive aspect. There's somebody in my life close to me who's plays board games and their adult family members will be crying because they're <laughs> losing. <laughs> I don't know if adults... I feel like I used to like to say I wasn't a competitive person, and then I kind of had to go, you know what? It does bother me when I yep. lose, and that's something I have to be very conscious about growing past, and it's like slow going, unlearning that stuff. Yeah, I yeah. I consider myself pretty chill. I think we all agree I'm pretty cool, um, but then there's just moments where it's like I suddenly get really crappy and competitive. Like I remember one time, it's not competitive. Here's what it was. is one time I was playing Samurai Gun with best friend Ronnie, and he beat me like 20 matches in a row. <laughs> like I had zero. And I consider myself pretty good at the game. Like I played a lot of that game going into that night and I was livid. <laughs> and like I literally just, without saying a word, just went and uninstalled the game and have refused to play ever since then. It's this big thorn in his side about how pissy I was that night. But I'm like, it's, it's not even being competitive at that point. It's just like, I am so embarrassed that this happened to me. I want to bury all existence of it. Right. I, I think part of it is that like divorcing yourself and you're like, like having that reflect on what you think of, of your own skills or, you know, your own intelligence, I think is, is where people kind of fall into that problem of like, yeah. well, I lost this game badly. Therefore I must be stupid or, you know, this person is better than me as opposed to just, yeah, it was just a dumb game and I did my best and who cares if I won or lost. Totally. Yeah. Like playing chess. It's like, if you lose in chess, I see that as like, I just objectively has a, have a lower IQ than you do. I has a lower <laughs> IQ than you do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm less, more dumbness than you. Uh, no, I think it, I think it helps to have uh, things that you invest in that kind of funnel that competitive spirit. So I think it helps that I, it kind of helps that I play Dota a lot because that's where I'm like, okay, this like, this person has destroyed me in lane and that, like that's the thing that I get really pissy about. But you know, when it comes to stuff like playing Jackbox or playing like board games, I'm just like, well, like Dota, I've decided to invest in Dota. I don't care what happens in this game. So it's like, it, it, and I do that actively as a way to prevent myself from like uh, not getting like more upset at the game. I'm just like, yeah, this is not the thing I've decided to spend this much time on. Like these people are probably better at it than me. I don't care. Uh, so it helps to have like places where, okay, I need to invest it. I, I, I have decided to invest a lot of time in this. So it matters whether I win or lose versus, you know, stuff where it's just like, I'm, you know, whatever this doesn't, I'm playing Uno with my friends. It, like <laughs> there are no stakes here. I like, I don't care. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's, it comes, if we I love this topic of conversation. If we can get fully deep into it, Please. um, playing siege is where I would get the most yeah. angry is that's my competitive go-to. And something I talked about it in therapy once talking about like, God, I get so I get so mad playing games and it's so embarrassing when I'm like raging out on the mic with my friends or whatever. And uh, we talked about like, is there somebody who's a good role model for me in that way? And I was like, absolutely. There's one person in my party who is just unflappable, just like rolls with every. And it's been so nice to like, yeah, just what would he do? I, w I have that as like a target of how I want to be behaving. Because the goal, of course, yes, is to have fun with friends. And it's, yeah, it's easy to lose sight of that in the heat of the moment. And what does he do? He just laughs off everything. Like just getting spawn peaked or whatever, it's just not a big deal. He just doesn't 
be a baby about it. But he's <laughs> it's also, really incredible. But he's also good because it's easy to laugh stuff off when it's like, I don't really understand what's going on here. It's a silly game. He's not the best. Okay. You're supposed to be like, no, and he's the best out of all of us. So that's why we should try to strive to be like him. Well, he's that's the best perfect. in a lot of ways. Yeah. In the more important ways, honestly. That's true. Um, Rock Party writes in and says, hey, Hanson and the CLCs, I've been thinking a lot about the gaming industry and trying to come up with labels. Always a good effort. Um, and so far, I think I've come up with a few. Uh, like Dan Reichert would be considered a gaming personality. I think Hanson is a gaming journalist with his hosting and interviews. Jason Schreier is a gaming reporter. And then people who make money playing a game or a few games would be pro gamers. Any thoughts on this or are there better labels or what do you think of labels in the game industry like this? We're all influencers. Yeah. At the all end we do of the day. is deal in we're the... All, we're all content influencers at the end of the day, you know. <laughs> Pulling strings. Yeah, we're all basically the same as that McDonald paste that people will say is meat. It's it's all the same. Just eat whatever. No, uh, I mean, I think the journalist reporter thing is maybe the trickiest one there because... Yeah, I have no idea what I'd call myself. Yeah, because I think I think I would call Schreier a journalist in almost the the truest sense of the word if there are gaming journalists. But but this isn't to say like reporter is somehow a lesser label. Uh, right. It's just weird. Yeah. I the stratifying that thing, I think there is a difference between someone like us who just like does podcasts and you know has some amount of like, let's talk about this, let's take this the industry seriously and, and, and discuss topics that come up, and someone who is doing that legwork, who is who is, you know, contacting sources, right? Like I don't have sources for, for yeah. most of the things that I do. Um so sources make you a journalist? Uh, I mean, like, well, that's one of the things, right? It's just doing like when I was at Game Informer, I would have called myself a journalist because I was talking to developers. I was, you know, I I talked to people on background, you know, like I I I talked to people for stories to put together this like here's here is this thing that is happening in this community or in mm-hmm. gaming at this point, and that that to me is like base the basics of journalism, that, which isn't to say that I was doing groundbreaking work. That is just the definition of what it means to be a journalist, um, but. It's it's hard like and that's very different from what I do now, which is mostly just write reviews and and you know come on the show and talk and be and be a pundit, right? I guess so. Okay, pundit. That's the one you're adding in here. That that's what you prefer. It, well, I think uh, I think that's where I think I would put uh, Dan Record. Like a, he's a pundit. Because I think person because I think he does do research, right? Like I think personalities. I would imagine is being more like like people who host stuff. I guess. Like who are like, you know, I'm hosting this stream and, and like moderating panels and stuff that that's sort of where I where I would do it. But saying Dan does research like I don't know yeah. if you listen to his, <laughs> I, I like your instinctual frown. Like 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 his his he is not purely a personality and that you like a lot of people come in just to hear you know, Dan, you know, like be a, like a, a nice guy, but it's like they come to him for information. Like, but like, what does he think about this game? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's that. And that is the, that is almost to me, the definition of a pun is like, what does this person think? Like I come, I, I want to hear what their thoughts on this specific mm-hmm. thing versus like, I just, I just enjoy being around them. Right. Like, and yeah. I, I think that's, and again, these are like, you know, you're almost kind of making this up as you go. It's like, Oh, I've decided, I've decided that these is where all of the lines are. Yeah, uh, I have no idea. I was, um, yeah. I was, it was a confusing thing. I was going to be on a Canadian radio station to talk about Pokemon's anniversary is a weird thing. Um, but they like called me to do a pre-interview and their final question was like, okay, and do you consider yourself a journalist? <laughs> I was like, 
You hung uh, up. <laughs> yeah, I panicked and said, Pokemon over, click. Happy anniversary. Uh, and I was so stumped. I'm like, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. I, 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 st- I don't know how to answer that. Call never... yourself a journalist? What's that? You can call yourself a journalist. I don't know why you would. I don't know. It not... just seems like a official Well, what was title. their tone? Because it, was it, and you call yourself a journalist? That's, yeah, that's exactly what he said. I, I mean, would you consider the hosts on 60 Minutes journalists? Yeah. Our boy John Dickerson, unofficial cohort of MinMax? Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> what, do you, what do you think is different about what you do as opposed to a host on 60 Minutes? He travels and does background research. You don't you do that? that? You did that for several years when you were doing cover stories. Yeah, yeah. You like, I don't you know. Did background research on them and then you talk to them. I don't think I took a journalism class in college. Maybe that's why I'm weird about it. Maybe I took one. I don't, like, I, I don't even I remember. The same I, way, you can't be a journalist and not remember. It, it is not a, like, I, journalist should not have to be like an aspirational title. In the way that like art does not have to be good to be art. Like you can be a journalist and not like, and not have to think of yourself like, well, am I Jason Schreier? Am I Patrick Hubbard? Like the, only those people can be journalists. Like, no, there's like a wide, you know, a wide range from everything from like, you know, like, uh, you know, the way Vice does journalism versus the way ABC does journalism. Like the, that is all on a spectrum. You, it, it's not like a, like a prestige, being a journalist is not like, inherently a prestigious thing this is something that defines the work that you do yeah i guess so joe halaska writes in with a question only for gaming journalists he says last week a federal trial court denied a motion to dismiss a lawsuit which appears to be a class action against apple concerning perpetual access to digital content apple tried to argue that no reasonable consumer would expect digital content to be available forever and the court shot that argument down and is allowing the case to proceed on a trial track I haven't seen gaming news websites pick this up, but I think it's something to which they should pay attention. If Apple is stopped from preventing consumers who paid for digital content from accessing it again after a certain point, that can be used to effectively require the home console owners to re-permit re-downloads, to permit re-downloads of paid content, sorry PT, in perpetuity. Of course, consoles have a shelf life, but I just bring it up here to call attention to this case because of the potential for persuasive presidential impact on future similar efforts by gamers who might eventually be unable to re-download all that stuff they panic bought on their PS3s three weeks ago. You get them. Get them. Yeah, Take guess- that apple down. Take a big bite out of that apple. Yeah, go Epic Go or whatever. Um, hashtag free Fortnite, baby. Uh, yeah, I think Fortnite this- is free. <laughs> yeah, but even more. Um, but I, we didn't mention on the show that, you know, Sony did 180 from the discussion that we mentioned a couple of weeks back uh, and said, ah, the PS3 store, the Vita store, blah, blah, we'll leave that up for a little bit longer. PSP store's coming Start down. PC, but- yeah. <laughs> PSP store, no, no. That yeah. ship has sunk. Uh, yeah, that is an interesting question because it, I don't know what the law looks like where if, you know, Apple loses that thing and has to give people access to their digital content. Uh, like what are the ramifications of that on our on the rest of the industry like does does that mean everybody has to follow that president or is that like well it's on your phone or whatever like you know what are the legal kind of particulars of that yeah Yeah, i i I think there has been a, a long time you know like reckoning coming in terms of like we started coming out with digital content and we never really apply consumer rights to it yeah. and never really like there there haven't been the lawsuits that there have to be in order to figure this out so companies were just able to do whatever they wanted to do with end user license agreements and all these kinds of things where it's just like yeah just we're gonna put this in and and we'll and and this 
this means this thing that we're telling you that it means. And it's, it's like, well, it doesn't actually mean that until a court says that's that that's what it means. And we've all kind of been seeding any kind of consumer rights that we may have had on certainly as opposed to physical, you know, products and things like that. We've, we've, we've just been losing them and losing them and losing them. And it's interesting and, and kind of hopeful that there's at least one court case that maybe will give consumers some rights in terms of the content, digital content that they're buying. But I guess we'll have to see if there are any ramifications from this. Yeah. Yeah. Or if it'll be something like, you know, I, I want to say that a court declared that like most EULAs are not enforceable, but people still put them in the games anyway. Mm. Uh, yeah. So I guess we'll, I guess we'll see what the practical, you know, ramifications are. Yeah. It's weird in the case of Apple where their software updates make old apps irrelevant anyway. Like they old apps just don't get updated to work with the new OS. And if, after, you know, like three or so updates, you just can't use those anymore. Yeah. It's still wild the idea that I spent a thousand dollars on the Final Cut Studio. It's like, yeah, you want to use that software? Too bad. Hope you have an old computer that you never updated because that's the only way you can access a thousand dollar software. <laughs> yeah. It's where we've all just been waiting for there to be enough lawmakers who actually know how computers work mm-hmm. to the point where someone can actually like put forward some legislation that that makes sense of digital content. And it's not just yeah. like, how do I get my emails on that box again? <laughs> Am I hashtagging? <laughs> um, another similar question. Matthew Goss writes in, he says, Hey, Minmaxians, me and my friends are having a debate. Who would win in a fight? Every bird in the world or every human in the world? No weapons or armor allowed. <laughs> also, just so you know, Google states that there are around 400 billion birds in the world and 7.8 billion people in the world. Leo, who's winning that fight? How many birds again? 400 billion. So yeah, <laughs> what's that? It's almost 100, 100 to 1. And or 50, 50 to 1? No human being could possibly do that math and figure it out. I don't understand. I, mean, I, I, th- I think the problem is that birds can fly, guys. We can't like if, you just but if they, we try to attack them they just fly away yeah but then it's a stalemate but I then they can come back at any time anytime you go outside point you would think- just open your door and get one at a time open it real quick, <laughs> close it crush the sparrow in your mitt. But see, the problem with that is that if a bird gets into the house it's cursed the house and so now you're gonna have bad luck so that's i mean that's gonna take out at least a few mm. billion people is bad luck interesting uh, but I, there's also like a lot. Yeah, there are 400 million birds, but how many of those could feasibly do any real damage? Like a, a a mockingbird isn't gonna. Like what's it gonna do? Like Make a fun of you. Like what it's it, gonna peck your eyes out. Seriously, if it if it isn't pecking range, I'm gonna destroy that bird. I'm sorry, guys. I just realized. Oh, we- and not, vultures and eagles. That's a different like uh, hawks and stuff. Like I forget would be that scared. you got freaking ostriches charging your house. That's what we gotta worry about. I, and so I, we're saying, I'm assuming because we're saying no weapons that this is in some kind of arena. Otherwise, we would just use what's around us. What there else? Be some what else? System where yeah. we wouldn't use weapons. If you're using the house to funnel birds in one by one, does it? Wait, it was it was no weapons too. No weapons. Oh come on, it's birds, dude. No weapons, open field. Humans are extinct. What Fox is only. what is within, the earth within a not, week? Mm. Okay, but I, I think 
since there's so many here, I think the arena has to be Earth. It's some sort of battlefield Earth situation. Yeah, it, it so, is. I, I would assume it's on Earth. Even with guns, I'm saying, like, we're screwed. Even with guns? What are you talking what, about? What kind of gun do you think you're going to use to, to shoot off a flock of, like... 10,000 birds, just 10,000 for you, Hanson, are coming towards you. You've got the best shotgun in the world with the widest spread. Yeah. They're going to pay to death. I don't know, man. My shotgun's well, pretty see, good. Guns aren't even the most effective weapon. You just poison birdseed and they're done. Like, you just put a little house there. Gonna birds aren't done you, cereal. to know not to eat at that birdseed feeder and they're all dead. So you just hide out, make your poison birdseed, and, like, wait it out. Leo, and what is the recipe oh. for poison birdseed for... Yours? Poison and birdseed. <laughs> oh, great. They're going to be carnivorous at, at this point. If they're eating all the humans, but they don't need your birdseed cereal. <laughs> suddenly every bird species in the world has become carnivorous? Uh-huh. Well, suddenly every bird species is attacking human beings. Yeah. So... You know, Leo, and they don't have weapons. You think one cause the other thing flesh and they're like, well, we have, well, I know where I can get more of this. Leo, can we make Min Max's first short film? And the film is just like, the, I looked it up. The biggest flying bird maybe is the golden eagle. I think it's this huge freaking eagle. And the short film is just you with your door open trying to time it just right when the eagle is flying in so that you slam the door just at the right moment so that its head gets lodged in there and it dies. But if yeah, you miss the timing by a millisecond, <laughs> you're freaking dunzo. Yeah. If anyone has a golden eagle, they, they don't mind us <laughs> abusing. <laughs> no, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter. There's a, there's a chance we won't abuse it. There's a chance it'll fly through at the perfect <laughs> amount and then Leo will be the one abused. So... Right, and no one will have a problem yeah. with that. Yeah, yeah. There's a chance either the bird will be abused, or the person who might pay you will be dead. Yep. Golden Eagle <laughs> versus our Golden Boy is the name of the film. Um, <laughs> Dustin Lemp writes in. He says, "Hey there, computer liking cohorts. Sure. Is anyone else fed up with the current phrases we have at our disposal for this hype culture we live in? Last week, my boss made me follow along a four-hour pre-recorded live stream video of two guys building a Facebook clone project in React, a programming language. During this live stream recording, these guys said, Let's go! 275 times. <laughs> I get that people get excited about something and $2 donations, but this is out of control. What are some other phrases we can start using instead of, Let's go! for hype stuff? I don't. That's. I. I mean. I. I get the instinct, but it's such a weird thing to like. Well, for one, you're kind of forced to watch that stream, so it's probably made you more aware of like all their tells or takes or whatever. But I don't. I I think any replacement eventually becomes so popular that you just get tired of that. Mm Mm-hmm. So Um, it just that's the nature of the beast. It always has to keep evolving. And let's go is officially tired at this point, and we just need something else to pop up. That's wired. Yeah. That's wired, yeah. Um, Well, Dustin here recommends, he says, I think either, uh, yeah, get some in a Gears of War voice or Shulk's line from Smash, I'm really feeling it, would work great. I don't know. Those sound like they would be instantly obnoxious. Yeah. Let's Go has had a lot of staying power because it's just phonetically satisfying to say. Mm -hmm. It almost feels like an F word or something as far as just an expletive of conveying your emotion. Yep. That is true. Also, anything that ends with a vowel is inherently more exciting to say because you can just extend the vowel as long as you want and it makes for a better... Like, I, I'm really feeling it. 
So like it doesn't doesn't do. Are you being electrocuted by a taser? Okay. Yeah, that's good. I um, the, I forget exactly what it was, but uh, I was watching Last Chance You, the latest basketball one on Netflix, which is very good, believe it or not. Um, but this guy, I think they they bet on something about making a half court shot or something, and this college kid made this unbelievable shot, and then. He, I believe what he said is he looks at the coach he was gambling against and he goes, check the time, check the time, which is like, what a weird specific thing to say after you do something amazing, but I really like it. We so, got a market for the history book. Right, exactly. Yeah, I think that's, that's a fun cool. one. Um, Victor Pham writes in, he says, are stories like the one in Nier more effective due to its use of video games and as a unique storytelling medium? What are some good stories in games that can only be told as a video game? Uh, let's see, the game that Leo said was Dog Trash Before Your Eyes comes to mind, but just because that's very fresh. Dog Ass. Dog Ass. I'm sorry, Dog Ass. <laughs> A Beginner's Guide comes to mind for me because mm-hmm. the, the person who made what you're playing is very much a character in the story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Papers, Please is probably one of my favorite examples of that, where it's all like, it's literally just all interface. And that, that, the interface is the way you tell the story. It's not like, you know, it's not commenting. There's no like narrative or anything like that. It is literally the, the process of your actions in that game are literally the story that you're playing out. Yeah. Uh, Brothers Tale of Two Sons is a classic example. Um, Bastion? Kind of I like the, so. get the narrator stuff. that's reacting to what you're doing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Hades is even an even better example because it's using the idea of repeated deaths to, you know, in, in like make have you make progress and tell the story. Returnal, baby. Um, um, I was uh, listening to this interview, this podcast interview with Neil Druckmann and Hallie Gross from Naughty Dog. Um, I don't know if you saw the headlines from it, but in this podcast interview, um, Neil Druckmann said like, oh yeah, we got a story outline for Last of Us Part 3. Um, he said, it's not in production, just to be clear, it's not in production, but technically we have an outline for what it would be. Um, but it's interesting. He's talking in there about like the, trying to remember the name of the podcast script apart is the name of it, but it was was a very good interview. Um, but he talks about how, when they were making the movie version of the last of us, he kept running into the problem of the Hollywood producers kept being like, okay, we need more action. We need more set pieces. How can we heighten all of the action scenes in the last of us? Which was funny in his mind because like, you know, we were trying to strip all that stuff out when we made the game. Like the game was based on the tone of No Country for Old Men and like stripping away kind of the bombast and the Michael Bay of what a video game could be. And so that's when he's like, yeah, it just wasn't working. And ultimately that's why the TV show will work well because we don't need action set pieces at these intervals in the film. But. It's also funny because I guess you don't necessarily like you have to design the action set pieces and uh, something like The Last of Us versus, you know, script exactly how it would go. So I could totally see that being the hardest part is to like, how do we make how does a video game designer like kind of rethink the idea of these fights uh, as being totally scripted, which seems like a no go in a a game versus Mm -hmm. like, well, we'll put these enemies here and then, you know, the player decides how this action piece set piece goes. Yeah. Um, Andrew Yurkowitz writes in and he asked a simple question to, let's see, um, Leo, uh, does Diablo 4 get released before Overwatch 2? No. Overwatch 2 is first, you think? Yeah. Even with the Kaplan? 2035. 2035. Look forward to <laughs> everybody. Brian Tylek writes in, this is, this is something. This is wild, wild stuff. He says, oh, hi, I didn't see you there. Weird way to start. And 
the comments going to get weirder from here on out. Uh, this past week, I was able to check an item off my bucket list that I never thought would be possible. For the longest time, I've had this goal that when I die, I wanted one of those natural burials where they plant a tree to mark your grave so that the entire cemetery is just a big orchard. I love that, by the way. I, I would like that as well. Um, and he says, in, except instead of a tree, I wanted a pumpkin patch. And I also wanted to put a sign in the patch that encourages people to pick a pumpkin for Halloween. And if they carve it into a jack-o'-lantern, I will personally guarantee them a free haunting during the entire month of October. For obvious reasons, I thought that was just a pipe dream. But somehow, I not only found a cemetery willing to do all that stuff, but they were super into it. Their response to me was, quote, we're going to turn this into a whole event. We're going to make you famous, which is exactly what I was hoping to hear. <laughs> I was so excited, I then died immediately. I'm a ghost writing this email. Oh, no! Yeah, are you open to being murdered to move the timeline up here? <laughs> yeah. oh my God. I, I love that he started, he went to the to the point of, like, starting to contact cemeteries to figure out if this was possible. Yeah, and I don't know who this cemetery is, but they're like, let a pumpkin patch take over our cemetery? Ba-ba-boom! <laughs> My God. I feel like how this flips the entire idea of like, man, I can't wait to die. Like, I can't, I can't wait to be a pumpkin patch. It's going to be sick. I mean, Let's go. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, yeah, I, that honestly is such a small idea, but I think it would reframe how I would think of death. If it's like, instead of dying, it's just like, when when that day comes is the day you get turned into a pumpkin patch. It makes me feel a lot better. His last words were, hell yeah. <laughs> Make Finally. it a tall cat on the jack-o'-lantern, please. Uh, anyways, that was it. Thank you. Uh, Zach Gillow writes in and he says, hello, MinMax. First time, long time. Thank you. Uh, it's time to play the game we've that's been taking everybody by storm. Last paragraph of a review you wrote. <laughs> Are you ready? Oh, no. yeah. Easy for me. Serial, guess the <laughs> name of the game. You only, yeah, I think, Leo, you've written like one review for Game Informer? That's right. Unless they found wow. my PlayStation Euphoria articles from 10, 15 years ago. I better hope they didn't because, Uh Anyways, Serial, here we go. Blank's journey is familiar, but the way it iterates and builds on that familiarity helps distinguish it from its lineage. Its combat, RPG elements, and enticing exploration intertwined seamlessly and had me obsessively scouring every nook and cranny of a gigantic map for hours, even after I uh, defeated the last boss. Definished. I finally... Er, <laughs> I won't pull my, mo my mouth. My mouth. I enjoyed finally returning to this haunted castle, even if it belongs to a new master. Oh, uh, Bloodstained. Correct! Jeffum. With just a heroes, dozen heroes on the move, <laughs> on the move. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Already forgotten it. Okay, next one though, uh, Jeffum. With just a dozen levels, Blank's brief six-hour runtime still proves too long for the basic puzzle mechanics. However, the satisfying platforming, thoughtful story, and adorable protagonist make it a worthwhile journey. I grew tired of repeating the same puzzle solutions, but seeing Blank through to the end was still a treat. Super Mario Odyssey. Incorrect. Um, the puppeteer. Incorrect, but you've got the right feel. Like tech so a game Joe made me review because I reviewed the puppeteer. Yes, 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 <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Texture, uh, texture forward game. 
Um, when it was revealed, the internet, you know, said they wanted to have the main character step on them or something in a different way from Lady D. People were very into this protagonist. I think in a sarcastic way. The protagonist, You're only making me more confused. <laughs> the protagonist's name was Yarny. Oh, Unraveled? That's Unraveled, everybody. That narrowed it down. Uh, Serial. Blank doesn't fail due to its baggage or expectations. It blunders entirely on its own merits. Oh, yeah. Uh, Metal Gear Solid, uh, Metal Gear Survive. Wow. I am blown away. Uh, nice. Jeff, this is, this is Cakewalk Town here. The beginning of Blank boasts that the decisions you make during the game will craft a unique and personal story. By the time credits rolled, I was a believer. Sure, every player follows the same narrative skeleton, and a few of those more expendable characters aren't instrumental to the ending. I don't... Uh, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> I remember that one. I think that was a PSN game, right? Um... Oh, what's the name of that one? It's the horror one. Yep, right? yep. With a lot of disposable characters. Am, okay. I, am, I, am I allowed to keep, guess? Keep reading. Yeah, Sergio, what is it? Uh, until Dawn. Thank you. Hey. There we go. Um, an Attack Corgi writes in. Thank you, by the way, uh, Zach. That was lovely. Uh, an Attack Corgi writes in. He says, hey, my favorite gaming podcast on the Citadel. <laughs> so Mass Effect's remaster is coming up soon, and I'm wondering how I'll play it differently than I did a decade ago. Uh, if you are going to replay the game... Will you play it differently? This is n- number one thoughtful decision in my life right now. I've taken long walks wow. thinking about how I'm going to handle this. you moved in the last year. I know. Big decisions. But this is number one, is what am I going to do with this remaster? Well, for starters... My... Go ahead. For starters, <laughs> I wouldn't remember all the decisions I made the first time around. Yeah. From like 15 years ago, so I would probably make different ones. But the the one I know that I will make for sure Easy. is I'm going to play as the female version oh, of Shepard yeah. because oh. I played as the male version the first time. So yeah, yeah that's I an think, easy one. I have the same answer, but I think it. I think there's a good chance that as I'm approaching certain decisions, I'll be like, oh, I I remember this decision, but not know which way it went. So I think yeah, I, I don't think I'll be consciously making the like. The renegade choice. I've just never been that kind of guy. Like I don't. I don't think I would ever like knowingly just. Uh, this is the bad guy choice, so I'm just gonna make it. I always played those games as naturalistic as possible. Yeah. Uh, but I always ended up being like, well, I don't want anyone to be mad at me, so I'll always make the the good guy choice. Don't undo me, mommy. <laughs> um. Yeah, I'm really torn on this one. I think. I think I'm gonna play it. You know, because there might be a chance that we'll be talking about this game a lot. I think I might play it the way I played the first game, which had some brutal moments, but I think it was kind of unique for that. And if I could just have my canonical mass effect, I think it's worth it for the discussion to, to have some characters go down in flames in unexpected ways. Uh, and Leo, this will be your first time playing. Hey, yes? you were, you did terribly in that game, didn't you? Uh, well, I, I did okay overall, but it's specifically, I guess I, we're in the territory where I guess I don't even spoil it. There's just one character that I thought, like, I'm just really... One of the coolest characters. Right. I said, I'm just kind of going to be a dick to this character. And then it turns out that was one character that has a life or death situation if you're being a dick to them. So <laughs> it was no good. Um, but yeah, Leo, this is your first time coming up, yeah? Yeah. I'm going to be playing more than the just the first three hours this time is what I'll be doing differently. There we go. Guaranteed. Uh, Denim Harry writes in and says, are there any games not currently in your physical library that you would love to have? For me, 
it's oddly Frogger Adventures Temple of the Frog for Game Boy Advance. <laughs> hey, don't make fun of Maybe it's a good game. You don't know. I just love whoever named that Temple of the Frog. Um, yeah, what, what do y'all think? Physical things that you really want to own. Yeah, there's a ton of games. I think I, because I used to be pretty compulsive about selling stuff after I beat it. Uh, so I have a lot, like, there's this really obscure game uh, by Hudson called Lost in Shadow, which I think about more than I probably should. I don't think it was like a fantastic game, but it was sort of like a Shadow of the Colossus in 2D kind of aesthetic. Um, but you played as this shadow and it, and that, that is a game that I think has become really hard to find. Um, the first Phoenix Wright game for, for DS, I borrowed from a friend, so I don't actually have it. I have the rest of that, of those games, um, but I don't have the first one. And that's one of those games where it's like, if you want to find a copy now for DS, it's ridiculously expensive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's just stuff where like the original Mario Galaxy, I don't have, uh, well, I have, I have that collection, but I don't have like the original, um, we copy so there's just a lot of games that i would like to buy back from my past self yeah more than like i need the this you know rare edition of whatever that's the most boring time loop game of all time by the way it's just you buying former copies of the game uh i think for me it's pokemon puzzle league on n64 i have never owned it now that i love paneled upon it's crazy that i haven't really played that game in a big way but it turns out it's expensive um, Grizzled Gaming writes in. He says, hey, gang, it's time to play America's least creatively named game show, real video game characters or nah. I've listed out several potential video game characters, and it's your job to guess if it's a real character from a video game or completely made up. Um, let's see. So the order for guessing, because we have some to get through here, will be Leo, then Serial, then Jeffem. Okay, so so let's just roll through it. Leo, Duff McWhalen, real or fake? Well, before we get started, I yes, want to sir. point out that these are all made up. You know, it's a video game. <laughs> so it'll be a kind of a marginal differences, but I'll say this one's real. That is real. That's Mega Man X5. Serial. Yes. An- Anti-lobster. Uh, I'm going to say real. Fake. Jeff, I'm Cyber Woo. Real. That's King of the Monsters 2. Leo, Manhattan Hackney. <laughs> Fake. Fake. Serial Jet Brody. Real. Real from Fracture. Um, if you know the name of the game, by the way, jump right in. Uh, Henry Cooldown, Jeffem. Real. Serial, do you know what that is? Uh, tra- or, uh, no More Heroes. Correct. Very impressive. Uh, <laughs> Leo Mergel with multiple letters there. I'm going to guess that's real and a murloc from World of Warcraft. 100% correct. Very impressive. Uh, Serial Ceaseless Discharge. Real, that's from Dark Souls. There we go, baby. Jeffum, Deep Hammer. Fake. Correct. Leo, Martial Law. The name of a character. Martial Law. Probably. It sounds like a PS2 era name. Maybe PS1. Leo, or sorry, do you know which game he's in? Uh, Tekken. It's Tekken, yeah. Do you know mm-hmm. which one, by chance? He's in several of them at this okay. point. Yeah. Uh, what about Hans Clamp? Or maybe Hans Clomp. <laughs> Surreal. Fake? That is Parasite Eve. Mm. Jeffem, Vagabond Octopus. Fake. Fake. Leo, Metal Shark Player. 
That's too weird to not be real. Real. That is Mega Man 6. X6. Specifically, a serial Wiggly Chad. Real? Fake. Jeff, I'm Edge Maverick. <laughs> real. That is Stardust and the Last Hope. That's awesome. Cream the Rabbit, Leo. Cream or cream? Cream. Like the rabbit. That That's real unless it's a trick question and cream isn't a rabbit. If we're talking about the Sonic the Hedgehog character, Cream. That is exactly it. Congratulations. <laughs> I mean, I get ready for this softball. Serial, Skullomania. Real. Real? And my friend. <laughs> From Street Fighter EX. You got it. <laughs> yeah. uh, Jeffem, Azul the Cerulean. Real. Any guess what it's from? Elder Scrolls. No, that's a good game. This is from Dirge of Cerberus. Friend of the show, oh. Dirge of Cerberus. Check out our Let's Play on our YouTube channel if you want to end your life. Uh, Leo, Zigbar. Real. That is Kingdom Hearts 2. Uh, Serial, Pizza Pasta. <laughs> Careful. Uh, real that is from punch out the arcade game yeah. jeff oh, wow. dingo egret want that to be real that is from zone of the enders the second runner thank you grizzled gaming for your wonderful game yeah it was incredible Lots i got of, all mine right yeah wow I got all mine right too and it turns out not. um we all won uh what do y'all like hey. for crush of the week a lot of good Great ones cues in there Hmm? Great cues in there. A lot of them. Yeah. I like uh, the one about being a poor sport. Yep. And I like yeah. the one about whether we're journalists or pundits or what. Mm. I like the blow your mind one. I like blow your mind. Yep. I like poor sports. I like the pumpkin patch. I like birds. A lot of good discussions yeah. this week. I know. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm leaning poor sports just for like... I think it made the show better to have that discussion, but yeah, that's yeah. definitely on the getting better tip. So, okay, I think we should go with yeah. that one. There we Is go. Congratulations, Sean Mason. You win I Am Eight Bits vinyl soundtrack to Battletoads. Congratulations. Now it's time for something that we personally like to call "Get a Load of This." Jeffum, do you want to wow? I just assume there's music there, right? Oh, big yeah. time. Okay. Uh, get a load of this. If you like art, but you don't want to travel across the world during a pandemic, yeah. the Louvre has digitized almost their entire collection. They have over 480,000 works of art that you can now see on the Louvre website. What and are we like, talking here? PDFs? JPEG? Uh, it's it's their surprisingly high high resolution pictures of of all their art and it's searchable in you know, they've done a good job kind of letting you search in different subjects and stuff like that. Yeah. So if cool. you just if you just want to look at a ton of old impressive art, uh, you can you can find it all now that's cool. online. That's perfect. Um Leo. Get a load of this. It's a tweet from Twitter.com. From Dirk Blocker, who is one of the guys on Brooklyn Nine Nine, I think, one of the detectives. Uh, he posted many years ago, we were part of a test for a far side film. Sadly, nothing came of it, but we had a grand time. And he posts a couple images from a screen test or whatever, where they're done up to look like far side characters. What? And it's hard to describe. They're in kind of 
fat suits for lack of a better term, but they're not real ones. They're more like shaping their bodies to look like the weird shapes of people in far side comics. What a weird idea. Very weird idea. Woof. And very interesting images to look at. And there's a link below in the description for everybody if you want to check them out. Um, mine is, it was a tweet that was a little factoid about science. And I said, that's fascinating. And I saved it. And then by the time I went and checked it again today, it was taken down. So I'm like, well, I guess that wasn't true. But it turns out there's articles like Slate.com here that wrote about it that says, well, it's kind of true. Which is that every planet can fit in between Earth and the moon. Which is so wild to me. Wait, at once or like individually? At once. You can okay. put them all end to end. And here's the qualifier. It's when the Earth and the moon are at their furthest apart. Because it, it changes a little bit over mm-hmm. time and stuff. Um, but isn't that wild? So there's an article below to try and help you visualize Jupiter and Saturn and everything else in that gap. Because the moon, pff, I figure I can like jump to the moon. It seems right there. But I guess not. Do it. Maybe I will. Yeah, um, do it right now. Okay, fine. Uh, cereal to get one? Into a pumpkin patch. Uh, yeah, so get a load of this. Uh, there's an article on Kotaku.com called NES Tetris players call it rolling, and they're setting new world records. Yes. And it is about, uh, basically, we kept this video called New NES Tetris Technique Faster Than Hyper Tapping. But it's actually like this really concise and, and well done history of like different input methods people have used for the NES controller. And it's not like anything like, oh, we modified this or whatever. It's just like how players orient their hands to actually press the buttons to rotate stuff more quickly and play better in Tetris. And the one they're, they're, they highlight here is this technique where you basically like, if you imagine like, I'm, I, had, I haven't seen it, but like if you imagine this being the NES controller, what you do is if this is the D-pad, right? Yeah. If you're, you have your thumb on the D-pad, you kind of put your thumb here and then you roll your fingers underneath the actual D-pad itself. So, and that's what's creating the taps. Mm. Uh, and people have been fig- like learning this technique to play Tetris more quickly. And it's really fascinating to see like how it's done and like how people were like, oh, ha- hyper tapping is what everyone used. But that took a really long time because people didn't really take it seriously. Uh, so there's just this really like, it's like a 10 minute video that shows you like this is, you know, these are all the techniques that people use to play NES Tetris specifically. Uh, That's so cool. It's, it's really cool. Just to, just for the fact that I don't think I did it justice here. And you probably have to see it for yourself to visualize what it's like. Uh, so yeah, go ahead and check that out. Sweet. Love it. Um, you got one from the community in the discord there, Jeff? I do get a load of this. This one is from Adam and it was a tweet from Joe Juba, friend of the show. (gasps) Oh my God. Uh, and he said, for some reason, my dad sent me this Photoshop picture he made in the early two (laughs) thousands. It features my face, my sister's hair and Tony Danza's body. If I have to look upon this nightmare, then you do too. You know, he's he's not selling it. He's calling it a nightmare, but it's, he looks pretty good it's under a, those he's situations. He's real dreamy. He, he looks like a LucasArts adventure game character. Good. Uh, but you should check that out. And, yeah. and I also just like that, that his dad is technically proficient enough to yeah. be Photoshopping images back in the early 2000s. Because yeah. my dad can't do that. <laughs> But I can't do that. <laughs> Welcome to our new show. Can your dad do that? <laughs> Welcome to New Show Plus. My dad can't uh, do that. Yeah, I think sometimes I'll look at tweets and I'll 
I'll think I'll have a reply in my head, but then look at the replies to say like, did, did so, has someone already made that joke? And the one that I saw for this one was uh, someone had had just posted a picture of Bob from Twin Peaks, and that was like, okay, that's my reply. Yeah. My work has already been done for me. Oh, good. Okay. Uh, but that that was a good tweet. For sure. All right. Hey, uh, plugs, everybody. Uh, new Pokemon Snap. We'll be streaming it on Friday at twitch.tv slash show. Should be a very fun stream. And Leo, get a load of this. It'll be the first in-person stream that we've done for over a year. Wow. Yeah, it's going to be a wild time. So check that out. I hope you enjoy it. And you can follow us on Twitch. Um, we might have some fun announcements coming up in the near future about Twitch. So it's a good time to follow us. So thanks, everybody, for checking out twitch.tv slash minmaxshow. Um, also, I made a video essay this week talking about the development history of the original Pokemon Snap, uh, which you can check out on our YouTube channel, which has a wild history that, as a huge fan, I didn't know about how it started as this dream project for Miyamoto and Iwata and basically was Nintendo's approach in a way of creating their own little valve with a flat structure and no deadlines, and it turns out it did not work well, and they eventually pulled the ripcord and said, just make it a Pokemon game, I don't know, we need to end this nightmare. Uh, so you can check that out on our YouTube channel. It's a, it's a very interesting video essay, I think, but I'm a nerd. Yeah, I completely agree. Thanks, Leo. Uh, there we go. And thanks to all of our supporters on Patreon, especially those at the $50 tier. You know who that is. I'm talking. I am 8-Bit. Rainmaker.gg. Another Eden on Steam. Mirko Rico Torreno. Moonface Nick. Zachary Pliggy. Beaten Down Brian. Joar Hello. Mark Seliga. Ludwig Roque. Andrew Yurkowitz. PrettyGoodPrinty.com. E&T Clark. Andrew Valla. Cameron Wardlaw. Yarrow. Alex Payne. Clint Farley. Spiral in Your Eyes. Richard Smuts. Spider Dan. Pritham Yarlagata. Steve Bamdad. Starkiller. Clayton Myers. Slick Nick. Jesse Vitelli. And Super Serious Sam. Thank you so much, everybody. We appreciate the support. Be good, have fun, let's go. Wow, we say let's go right there, huh? Oh, crap. Oh, crap.